0: Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you?
1: I'm doing well in beautiful, uh, sunny California in Los Angeles, sweet little area called Marina Del Rey, visiting our daughter, Montana, as she prepares to run the LA Marathon. So that's going to be fun.
0: I'm a, I'm a big Marina Del Rey fan. I didn't know you were there, but Megan and I just took our first vacation there this past October and, uh. It was pretty awesome, and I managed to not catch a stunner while I was there.
1: Yeah, no, Montana has lived in Marina del Rey for about eight or nine years, and Lori and I used to have a place right down the street in Santa Monica. So we're pretty familiar with the area, and it's a nice little, you know, Marina del Rey is, it's getting bigger like everything else, but it's a nice little enclave in Los Angeles because it's only 15 minutes from the airport, and it's still kind of, secluded it's got its own vibe that's uh kind of casual and laid back and right on the water and there's a lot of great restaurants around here a lot of lot of fun stuff so it's nice to come back and visit
0: well i'm excited to visit march 8th 1999 what a nitro this is this is uh one of the more interesting nitros we're in the monday night war or just a couple of months removed from the finger poke of doom eric bischoff doesn't know it yet but he's five or six months away from, uh, taking a little break from wrestling for a little while. And we're trying to sort of find our way in the WCW storylines. Uh, Ric Flair is the storyline president and Hulk Hogan is still the world champion after the finger poke of doom. Goldberg is still looking to avenge his loss. And there is a lot to unpack on this show. We're going to do this watch along style. So I'm going to encourage everyone to fire up your WWE network. Watch it with us. It's March 8th, 1999. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to find it. March 8th, 1999. But do watch it with us because the first 40 some odd minutes are rather unique. So let's do it, man. Without further ado, let's fire up the WWE Network. I'm going to give you a countdown. Three, two, one, play. And when I say play, we'll press play, play. Easy for me to say. Eric, are you ready? I'm ready, brother. Three, two, one, play. So we're firing up the show here with uh, a vignette uh, of what looks like construction. And then when we get some more angles, we realize they're constructing a steel cage with barbed wire at the top. We're just uh, a few days away from uncensored 1999 in Kentucky. It's going to be Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan in a first blood match inside a steel cage for the world title. Man, that as a main event on a pay-per-view feels like that's uh, uh, money you've never done something like this before hogan and flair have had a cage match before and it does feel like you know whenever wcw was looking for a shot in the arm you can always count on hogan flair am i right
1: yeah it was a go-to you know and before we get too far into this (coughs) excuse me remnants of my guitar cough uh not coronavirus let me assure you um you know, this was an, a, a period, March 1999, March to May or June was probably one of the periods in my career that was the most overwhelming for me. By this point in March of 99, you know, there were so many things um, that I was dealing with and challenged by internally, not externally, meaning not what you were watching on television and not dealing with talents and not all the other visible things that the audience was aware of because there were a lot of things going wrong at this point. But internally, the, the corporate side of things, were. it, it was probably the most intense, um, confusing, uh, dysfunctional period of, of my entire uh, tenure. Uh, as the head of WCW, it was really a mess.
0: This show is kind of a mess. We're nearly two minutes in now, and we're just watching a recap from Thunder. Talk about role reversals. It feels like Thunder was just always a Nitro recap. Here, though, this is a Thunder recap. This is an extended conversation that happened in a locker room. The prior Thunder, Iron Anderson, taking Ric Flair to task for the way he's treated David Flair, or perhaps ignored him because David cut a promo saying, I don't care about you, dad. All I care about, I don't need my sisters. I don't need my mother. I don't need my father. All I need is this woman. And of course he's talking about Tori Wilson and Flair saying, Hey, uh, I've raised a 19 year old kid and he's gonna have to figure out some things for himself. What's most important to me is becoming world champion again. We've done this enough to know how important this is. I've got an opportunity to beat Hulk Hogan for the belt, and I'm going to take it. And my son's just going to have to figure it out. And Arn is like, wait a minute now. That's your son. If this was my son. So there's an extended conversation here. We're trying to break down sort of the two sides of Ric Flair, this hard ass character, but also say, hey, aren't you also this family man and this dad? And, uh, it's an interesting sort of tweener spot to put Rick into, who do you think would have helped book this and create this sort of situation?
1: Oh, well, you know, by this point it was all hands on deck. So there was a lot of people that had input into this. I'm sure Rick had some, you know, significant input into it because of the nature and the tone of, of, uh, you know, this sit down interview, um, probably pushed, I would have to g- guess at this point uh, Kevin Sullivan was really driving this and worked closely with with Rick and Arn. The great thing, you know, watching this, now obviously I have the audio off because I guess technically we shouldn't be hearing the audio in the background. Um, but in watching this, you know, this is this is an example of two things really. Um, one is kind of breaking down the, the third wall in a way, if you will, and showing the real side of Ric Flair or his character, you know, which, which is a little, um, more intimate than what you would have normally seen of Rick in the ring. It's a different kind of promo, but without even hearing it, I know how believable it is. You know, just the sheer nature that you're seeing Rick in a different type of environment, you're having a, a conversation, Arn is having a conversation with him and really getting, getting into his head and, and it makes this so believable. But I think what stands out to me the most is these are probably only the, the only two guys, Arn Anderson and Rick Flair, that could pull something like this off as easily as I'm sure they did because neither one of them needed it. They know the story, right? They know the beginning. They know the middle. They know the end. They know what they're trying to set up here and they didn't need to be scripted they didn't need a lot of direction they didn't need you know 25 or 30 takes it didn't take four hours to produce this you can see here there's there's no edits which should indicate to a viewer if you're what if you happen to be able to watch along there's no edits in this promo you're not seeing cuts back and forth which indicate this is all just one take you know they're zooming in and out but there's no you know there's no edits and I think that says a lot about Arn and Rick and kind of the old school way of really knowing your character, being into your story without, you know, 25 writers trying to, you know, guide you, direct you and put words in your mouth. So it's, it's old school in many respects.
0: Who do you think would have, um, set up a shot like this? Is this something that you guys had a, like a go-to, Hey, if it's in the ring, we need this. If it's a backstage vignette, we need that it's a pre-tape we need this guy was there certain producers that you could count on or, or technical people that you could count on to handle certain shots
1: yeah there were a couple of them really um and i'm sure craig leathers is the one you know he was directing the show at the time so he would have assigned the producers but there were you know there were and we had a guy by the name of bill tinsley who you know i worked with when i first arrived in wcw bill was a great producer uh, not a not a real strong director, but a great producer, and could really um, you know shoot shoot the shoot as well. He was a great shooter and producer. Um, Kemper Rogers was really great. He he was another one that could you know, he he was primarily a post production guy, but he was another really highly talented individual. But there was a, there was a number of them. Um, I'm not sure who Craig assigned to this particular shot. I certainly wouldn't remember that off the top of my head. But there were a handful of really great producers that really understood how to c- capture emotion like this and story like this more than emotion.
0: We're um, we're at seven minutes now and we've seen guys welding a cage and now this extended backstage promo or conversation rather with Arn Anderson and Ric Flair and it's winding down just past the seven-minute mark. And this is not original content. This is from Thunder. I'm curious from a time blocking standpoint and just a formatting of the show, what did that process look like here in 1999? Where did you guys start working on the show on Tuesday after the other Nitro, or do you really start working on it on Friday after thunder or what did that look like in this era?
1: Well, you have a pretty good idea of what you want to do. You have an outline for your script probably by, or your format probably by Wednesday. Um, but you're going to wait until Friday because you don't know what's going to happen on on Thursday, you know, Wednesday or Thursday with, with thunder. So, um, yeah, you have an outline, you have a pretty well timed out knowing that you're going to be making changes on Friday based on what happened earlier in the week on thunder. So, uh, you had to be flexible. And by Friday, you were probably tightening it up, polishing it up, making sure everybody understood some of the changes that would occur later on the week and then get to TV, tweak it, one or two more times in case you had other issues, missed flights, illnesses, injuries, that kind of thing. Um, and then have, you know, final waiting for you Monday. And then throughout the day, you would tweak it again.
0: We're seeing a recap here from a visit you guys made to Providence uh, University. And uh, we're, we're throwing nitro parties and doing a little campus invasions type thing. We're doing a series of events with bouncy houses and things like that raising money for the big brothers and the local community. $3,000 was the donation, but we're starting Nitro now. We're nearly nine minutes in and we've essentially got an extended commercial. And this guy, uh, little known fact, that's Frankie Kazarian's brother right there. Who Ricky Ratman's right there. By. No, not really. He just really, says, get- he says his last name's Kazarian. So, you know, fuck it. How many of those can there really be? I just made that up.
1: Yeah, let, let, let the listeners, you know, do the research and try to call bullshit on that. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean, listen, this is a weird. I'm used to the Nitro opening with with uh, Tony Schiavone welcoming us, and man, there's a kick-ass luchador match. Instead, we Arn Anderson talking to Ric Flair in a recap package from Thunder, and now a uh, three-minute clip for 1-800 Collect and Nitro Spring Breakout. It's it's a weird way to start the show so far.
1: It is. It's really different, and I think that represents the fact that, you know, at this point, we were grasping at straws, looking for some way to change the format, because I think the feeling was, you know, we had gotten a little too redundant. You know, Nitro had a great format in the beginning, you know, 95, in 96 in particular, once we started really getting hot. Speaking of hot, we're looking at hot right now, if you have the opportunity to be watching along with us on the WWE Network. If not... Um, we're, we're getting a look at the kind of a behind the scenes of the Nitro Girls but going back to what I was saying you know we were we, we were desperate we were grasping at straws admittedly we were looking for some change in the formula that would refresh you know the interest and you know while, like I was beginning to say before you know the Nitro Girl thing came on we were uh, we were experimenting you know we had found a great format we kind of recreated a live format and it was really working for a long time but like anything else you know, you, you've you've got to change it up. You've got to find a new formula to to keep the audience's attention. No matter how good the original idea was, if you keep doing it over and over and over again, it becomes kind of boring and flat. So, this looks to me like you know an effort at least to. Hook the audience on a number of different stories and characters and set the tone, especially with the Nitro Party. Not only was it kind of a commercial endeavor because it was highly sponsored, but it was also a way to kind of legitimize, if you will, the interest, the excitement, the energy surrounding Nitro in this particular episode. But I I don't know how effective it really was with this much, you know, uh, exposition, narrative, talking heads, if you will.
0: So now we've got about a three-minute interview with ac jazz of the nitro girls so she's showing us that she can she's taught her poodles how to sit and now we've got <laughs> uh an announcement from the nwo this is going to be an extended hulk hogan promo we're 11 and a half minutes into the show so far we've yet to be in the arena there's been no action we haven't heard from any commentators who are welcoming us to the show we haven't even had the show open We've just seen one rec- one video after another, the, st- the first of which was a thunder recap. It's just pretty remarkable. I guess we should mention too, and I know you're going to poke holes in this, but this is when nitros three hours. So raw is still two hours, but the original game plan for nitro was let's start just a few minutes before raw goes on the air and see if we can sort of set the hook and keep them from changing the channel. And now we're starting a whole hour earlier. And I'm sure on some level that meant, well, we need to readjust our thinking. We don't have to start with such a hot match because we're not really as concerned with what they're doing on the other channel because it's still murder she wrote or some shit. Uh, let's instead try to sell our sponsored elements, do some personality profiles, build some value in some of our other characters, and maybe we'll hit the ground running just before the second hour starts. And then maybe we can lock down that. Sort of flip flopper, raw watcher. Is that part of the strategy?
1: Yeah, it was part of the strategy, but also <clears throat> it was an attempt, I guess, or a strategy, probably a better way to say it, of using that additional early hour to set up story, to set up characters, to get get the characters over, and get people more interested in the backstory and the characters that necessarily go in right to action. And and the other part of it was, look, you know, filling three hours is tough. It it really is tough. And, you know, what you don't want to do is fill it with a lot of matches and and action for the sake of action. It really doesn't matter. Um, And so this was an attempt really to fill those, fill that additional hour but rather than filling it with the action that really didn't matter with wrestlers that people really didn't care about um, using our established talent and our, our current storylines and giving them more of a backstage feel to it to set up the interest for what was going to happen in the next two hours.
0: In case you're wondering, Hulk Hogan's still going and he's talking about Ric Flair and that this guy needs to be eliminated. And he also says, You know, he sort of further cements the whole, um, I was red and yellow and train and say your prayers and eat your vitamins brother for 15 years. And then I finally got to reveal my true self. I didn't care about any of those people. I was doing it for the money. I'm a businessman and I was Hollywood Hogan the whole time. But now people have realized that I'm not the bad guy. Ric Flair is the bad guy. He's still out here even though he should be retired at his age, just looking for one more roar of the crowd, he didn't know when to give it up. And he's even willing to sacrifice his own son. And I would never do that. So different shades of gray, which I like, and and Hogan's even trying some stuff here where he says, you know, some people don't like me as a work and some people don't like me as a shoot. And I was like, wow, that really stands out in early 99, some insider terms on Nitro.
1: Yeah, that uh, we were, you know, we we leaned in that direction. We leaned into the wind because we look, it was happening. There was a lot of, even though the the internet was still developing, it certainly hadn't evolved to the the level we have today. We didn't have social media at the time, and but it was still, you know, evident that there was a loud voice in the peripheral media that was influencing, you know, the perceptions of the audience. Um, so rather than ignore it, which was traditionally the way people reacted to dirt sheets and the behind the scenes, you know, reporting and I I hate to even call it reporting, but whatever it was, whatever you characterize it as, it was still having an influence on the audience. So this was our attempt at least to rather than ignore it, you know, confront it. And I guess it's debatable whether it worked or not, but we still see it today you know it's it's it still pops up that strategy or that reaction to the peripheral media uh still pops up you know in w w e and I'm sure it'll pop up in AEW at some point if it hasn't already uh so it's still alive and well
0: and uh the promo from Hulk Hogan is still going we're sixteen minutes and sixteen seconds in we're still not inside the arena. This is remarkable to me that you guys started this way. It really stood out like a sore thumb when I watched it back for the first time in a long time this week.
1: Yeah, and and here's what's even, you know, when you think about it, we're watching this on the WWE network, which means there's no commercials. Now, imagine we're 16 and change into this show, and I would have assumed there would have been at least one, at least one, if not two, by this point commercial breaks that probably lasted, you know, three minutes to three minutes and 30 seconds at this point. So you combine all of this backstage, all of the, you know, the exposition here, the narrative, sit down interviews, whatever you want to call it, um, combine that with a commercial break, maybe two. And you can imagine how the viewer at home was feeling by this point. You know, it's, it's a great setup. You know, I mean, I shouldn't say that. It was a great attempt at setting up the next two hours and I think you know if you think about you know NFL football for example you know there's a lot of narrative a lot of interviews a lot of backstory a whole lot of setup before the game actually starts um, on television so I think this was kind of what we were trying to do here and but man it's a lot of talking and you know research has shown and we knew that it's really hard to hold the audience's attention with this much backstage, you know, promos, whatever you want to call it. But again, we didn't, we didn't volunteer for three hours. We didn't get to vote. Nobody asked us our opinion. It was a mandate. We had to fill it. And this was our best attempt at doing so.
0: So the Hogan promo was over and then they start and, and immediately go right to another NWO announcement. And this time it's granny footage of mean gene talking to Ric Flair on nitro. Then we zoom out to a wide shot and we see that it's actually Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash watching this on an old VHS. And, uh, that looks like they're in a regular hotel room somewhere, uh, maybe a conference room of some sort and watching the old footage here, breaking down a Ric Flair promo to be clear. We're in 18 and a half minutes now inside the program. And we're still not inside the arena. It's been one pre-tape after another, including two back-to-back NWO black and white, the following announcement has been paid for by the new world order. It's it's remarkable that this is happening, and by the way, it's happening in front of a big crowd. We should mention we're in Worcester at the DCU Center in Massachusetts. Ten thousand eight hundred and fifty six fans there, just eighteen hundred shot of a sellout. Ninety seven hundred fans paid a pretty good gate: two hundred eighty five thousand seven hundred and thirty three bucks. When we get inside the arena, our commentators are going to be Tony Shavani, Mike Tanay, of course, Bobby Heenan, and Larry Zabisco. And, uh, as we've reiterated a few times now, we're six days away. This is our go home nitro before the uncensored pay-per-view. Of course, there's still one more show before that, which will be thunder on Thursday, but, uh, we're pulling out all the big guns here, trying to sell Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, but we're doing it through a series of, of pre-taped interview packages. I don't know. It just doesn't feel as exciting. It feels like some of this stuff should have been spaced out during the show.
1: No, I agree with you. And by the way, uh, you you asked me a question earlier about you know some of the go-to producers and directors of these backstage promos. I did not mention uh, Neil Pruitt. I'd be remiss in 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 not mentioning Neil. Neil was a great producer. And I'm looking at this one in particular with the grainy footage and just the tone and the way it was it was produced. I would guess that this was Neil Pruitt. He was a great producer as well. And uh, my apologies, Neil, if I left you off the list. But uh, probably one of the Best go-to producers for this type of material.
0: Uh, it's still going. Or twenty minutes. It's still
1: going. This is we're this twenty is. minutes in. I guarantee you, there's been at least one or two commercial breaks at this point. So this would be like, wow. Sitting at home, you'd have to be just going, okay. Let's get to the ring. Let's get to the action. This is just way too much
0: talking. We saw a sponsored bumper at the end of the Thunder recap. Where it was a uh ten ten, two twenty or whatever, one of the uh toll free services. And and then when you came back from commercial, I would assume that's when we saw the Providence sort of nitro party that was sponsored by Cineburst and one eight hundred collect. I assume they probably wanted a little bit of space between the two collect call sponsorships. Uh, and there you see uh Hulk Hogan mocking Ric Flair. Saying, look at that cauliflower ear. I didn't know the Crip Keeper could have cauliflower ears. It's super fun to see Hulk Hogan mock Ric Flair for his age because they're not that far apart.
1: But no, it's it's it. really funny, really interesting. I was thinking about that when you first mentioned it. You know, when Hogan was talking about the fact that Rick should have been retired. But <laughs> that's it's interesting.
0: Five years apart, and and he's acting like he's grandpa. It's tremendous. Um. Either way, though, this is. It's uh it's fun to go back and watch these shows and sort of figure out how we got there and I find myself binge watching wrestling sometimes to get ready for these podcasts and It's hard to beat this and this is hard to beat too. We've got the, uh, the nitro stretch limousine, uh, and it's like a, a Hummer. And we see Scott Steiner pulled over riding shotgun with him is uh, Mr. Buff Bagwell and state patrol here in, in Boston is about to give these guys a couple of ticket books. Hey, well, the way we're going to let you off the hook is if you do real police work today and go write some tickets. Can you imagine giving Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell ticket-riding authority?
1: This is really ironic, and it's, again, I don't know how far into the show we are. Let me check my timing here. We're 25, almost 26 minutes or so into the show, and we are still not in the arena. So it's it's really... uh, this is really, it was an interesting experiment. Not very effective, in my opinion, but interesting. And, yeah, this I mean, this is a really well-produced spot. So if you're not watching at home, you know, two uh, Massachusetts Highway Patrol officers pulled over the stretch limo. Buff and Steiner get out. They've got, you know, <laughs> arresting authority, and they are now going <laughs> after this poor individual who evidently didn't pay his parking t- parking ticket or was about to. And they turn him upside down and shook the change out of him. Now what are they in an airport?
0: Yeah, so he's about to write a ticket for loitering here at the airport at Baggage Claim because he tried to throw his trash away, but Steiner moved it, so Buff presents him a ticket. Buff also found the guy before had an expired parking meter, and when the guy comes through he says, Hey, why is this expired? Well, I didn't have any change. So they turn him upside down, shake the change out of his pockets. A really pretty hilarious skit. And by the way Shout out to Big Pump of Pump, who uh, we know had uh, a bit of a medical situation on Friday night this past Friday at Impact in Atlanta. Uh, from everything we hear, he's uh, on the mend and is going to be back on the old dusty trail sooner rather than later. You never want to hear about uh, somebody in the wrestling community having a, a medical scare, but it seems like he's going to kick out and be okay after a pretty scary situation in the Impact locker room.
1: Yeah, he's a tough son of a bitch. So whatever, whatever it was, uh, that he was dealing with, I'm sure he'll kick out.
0: So more nitro party here. And, uh, we see Conan dancing with the ladies there and some of the, uh, the nitro gals. And we should point out, we are 27 minutes and 42 seconds in. We're still not inside the arena. It is another sponsored element of a nitro party with 1-800-COLLECT. I wonder if they felt like they weren't getting enough of their value or maybe their contract renewal was coming up because you guys are pulling out all the stops for them here.
1: Yeah, I I really don't think it was that I really, you know, watching this now we're almost a half hour into the show. We still haven't gotten into the ring or into the arena. To me, this was like, look, we don't want to wrestle for three hours. We don't have enough, you know, action or characters that is going to hold the audience for three hours. Let's use that first hour to set up the next two uh, again, an experiment probably made sense at the time, probably made m- way more sense on paper, uh, than it did once you delivered the product to the viewer at home. But, uh, I'm, I'm sure that's what this was. Cause this is nothing but filler and trying to build anticipation and setting tone. And by the way, the nitro party so far, looked like the most exciting part of the show. Uh, and it's kind of fun to watch, you know, Conan dance. He's Conan. he can move. Conan, you missed your calling should see Conan on dancing with the stars. That would be awesome.
0: By the way, we have yet another vignette this time talking about Ray Mysterio and his battle with Kevin Nash. Ultimately he had to unmask and, uh, we just saw Billy Kidman explaining that, Hey, Ray was one of the smallest wrestlers in the world, but one of the most innovative and one of the most effective in his match with Kevin Nash. And so now here's the recap and we see the unmasked Ray Mysterio just sort of setting the tone for this David and Goliath situation with himself and uh, Kevin Nash.
1: Now, you know, I, I, I've never talked to Ray about this. You know, I see Ray several times a year and we cross paths and, but we've never really talked about what was going on at this point with me wanting to unmask him. And I mean, I heard how we felt through other people. I never heard it directly from Ray. Um, I heard through through others and a lot in the peripheral media if you will but I, I know Ray has strong feelings about this period of time and probably resents it and wish it wouldn't have happened but in watching this even without you know the benefit of hearing the audio this was it was dramatic, you know, in and, and the emotion on Ray's face when he took off that mask, as we saw. Uh, and, and if you're not watching uh, along with us, you know, the emotion, the tight shot when Ray finally revealed himself as he slowly pulled that mask off. That emotion was real. It wasn't contrived. It wasn't acting. It was real. And and because it was real, I think it was effective and compelling. As much as Ray didn't want to do it for, for his own reasons, and there's nothing, his reasons were valid. But for the viewer at home who wasn't, is in tune with, you know, the history and all the things that meant so much to Ray, it was compelling television.
0: By the way, we're at a gun range. Now, this is all still pre-taped. It is another NWO vignette, the black and white, the old timey effect it's Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan coming to visit a blonde haired woman who was at a firing range. And eventually we get to see your face and we realize it's Tori Wilson. And they're saying, okay, hey, the plan, the plan is working with David, but now it's time for us to pivot. We need a new plan. Uh, so they're going to get everybody together and, and concoct a new plan over lunch or dinner. They invite her to go eat, and she says, oh, I'm always hungry. So they're going to go have a meal and talk about their new plan. Uh, to be clear, we are 31 and a half minutes. We are not inside the arena. We have not seen any wrestling yet.
1: No. So let's, you know, let's just stipulate that there's way too much backstage, way too many promos, way too much narrative here. By this point, you know, I think everybody knows that. But I I, but I want to put something over here. Set aside, you know, the the strategy here of filling up that first hour with backstages. The quality of the of the backstages and the vignettes is that we're seeing the the acting, if you will. I mean, Tori did a great job here and so did hulk and so did kevin because they were they were more themselves than they were necessarily you know portraying a traditional wrestling type character you're getting that backstage kind of intimate feel uh, in, into those characters and i think tori looked as good as she ever looked there no, i mean me. as, as a as a performer she always looks good but as a performer as an actress I think she did a great job here and I, so did, so did Hulk. And so did Kevin.
0: So now they're seated at dinner and they're talking about what's what. And, uh, they're saying, Hey, w we got this kid exactly where we wanted, uh, and Flair's on the run, but now it's time to turn the volume up and they're going to ask if, uh, there's maybe another idea, uh, maybe someone else we can involve Tori says she's got a great idea and. And presents the idea that, hey, maybe it's another woman. And I think Hogan says, well, if you were a 10, what would you write her? And she says a 12. Uh, so we're going to we're gonna meet another woman here. I can't believe this is real. Uh, but we're going to meet another <laughs> woman here. And uh, the new plan will be to put this woman on David Flair. And, of course, uh, oh, man, what a weird... Come- this is a weird, this whole thing's weird.
1: Yeah, it is. it it is. It's, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's a little embarrassing to go back and look at this and realize that, you know, my fingerprints, although I didn't produce it, I would have approved it to be produced. Um, as well as approving this new three-hour attempt at a format. And I, you know. It is what it is, brother. (laughs) I would have fired myself at this point.
0: They they can't help themselves. Uh, In a minute, she is going, Tori is going to try to get something to eat off Kevin Nash's plate. He says something like, hey, take your hands off my meat. And uh, that's supposed to be a little laugh, I guess. This woman's name is going to come sit at the table is uh, Denise. And then she's going to say her last name is Robinson. And they love, oh, Mrs. Robinson. They start to draw comparisons to, uh, the movie, the graduate, because David flair, they keep saying it's 19. Uh, I think in actuality, he turned 20 the day before, uh,
1: this, this show aired something like that. Uh, but they're going to offer- look at it. Go ahead. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, brother, but if you're watching along with us, And if you're not, you should be because you're getting a look And I hate to sound like, you know, a pervy old man, but my God, Tori Wilson was put together and she had legs like an Olympic pole vaulter. I mean, what a great set of gams. That's legs for the younger generation.
0: Well, this is Denise Robinson and her job is to go, uh, I guess, uh, throw it on David Flair and they say, Hey, if you seduce him and you get the job done, uh, it's twenty thousand dollars. So we're gonna give you twenty thousand dollars. So
1: she's so she so she's a hooker. Yes. And Nash and, and Hogan, we're pimps at this point. We're setting up a prostitution angle on Nitro. That's awesome. Okay. Awesome isn't necessarily No, I'm just. Work. I mean, I mean, that's what it is, right? I mean, they're gonna pay her twenty grand to go pop David. <laughs> and if that's, <laughs> I mean, how? What else would you call that? It makes, you know, me, it makes God, me. wonder. You, could, you, you couldn't. You could not get away with that in today's environment. This thing would have gotten this. Sh- this thing, if, if this would have, if somebody would have attempted to pull this off today, they'd get pulled. They'd get canceled. You're promoting prostitution on a wrestling show. Oh my God, me too. This bitch to death. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: It does make me wonder, um, how much did did Rick have to pay for Stacy?
1: You know, I don't know, but it would have. I, I'm i going to leave that one alone because I like Stacy and I like David, so I'm just going to leave that one That's alone. Money well spent. Just saying. <laughs> just an opinion, brother. Just an opinion.
0: By the way, this is still going.
1: We are on. My uh, God, this is getting crazy. We're we're over 36 minutes into this, with now probably by this point at least three commercial breaks that were 10 minutes long. Combined. Oh my God. Can you imagine people at home? Look, you were probably doing one of two things. You had probably either grabbed your remote and went back to Murderous Us or Murder She Wrote or whatever the fuck, or you were probably half in the bag by this point through the better part of a 12 pack waiting for something to happen.
0: It's remarkable that nothing has. We're not. Tony Schiavone has not welcomed us to the show. We've not even seen the nitro open yet. There's been no pyro. There's been no music and you know, without commercials we're 37 minutes and eight seconds, but look, here comes the big toast. So that means that's the end. And believe it or not, the nitro open.
1: So with commercial breaks, you were probably, you were probably an hour worth of content by this point, an hour worth of television show at this point, not quite an hour with commercial breaks. That's amazing. I, I, but damn close to an island.
0: I still think the strategy is still probably, hey, let's do this open and get the jump ahead of uh, Monday Night Raw so we can sort of have some filler content, and now we're going to go put together, hopefully, a, a two-hour kick-ass live wrestling show. Mean Gene is already in the ring wel- welcoming us to Worcester. It's not the traditional Tony Schiavone open. It's Mean Gene on the stick in the middle of the ring welcoming us. The big pyro display This is what we're used to. This is what we expect with nitro. And, uh, he's already teased us that we got something ready to go and it's two hours nonstop from here on out here on TNT live. So it's a weird experiment where the first hour is essentially for lack of a better word, pre-tape. And now, and now we're going to kick ass with, with a good show here.
1: Yeah, and again, just put things in context, and it's really easy for for you and I to allow, you know, look back and watch this and pick it apart, make fun of it, you know, make jokes about how, you know all the backstage stuff, and you know be armchair quarterbacks. But you know, it's the first time I think anybody's ever done a live three-hour format in wrestling. So many of the things that you see on Nitro today, or what you saw on Nitro, were the first time anybody ever did it. So uh, you know the fact that we experimented with a one-hour pre-game show, if you will, because that's essentially what that was—the first yeah. hour. It was a pre-game show, much like an NFL pre-game show, or any you know to any other big event. You have a pre—you know, UFC. You watch a lot of the setup uh, for it. Even today in WWE, you have a pre-game show prior to a pay-per-view. Um, you're filling content. You're 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 satisfying the needs in this case of the network we were on. But easy to criticize when you're doing something that had never been done before. You know, when you look back 20 years later, um, you know, you watch Raw today and one of the challenges that Raw has as a three-hour show is that they lose so much of the audience in that third hour. Because it's just really, really hard to hold the audience's attention for um, an entire three-hour block of action in the ring. And by the way, watching... Tori Wilson get into the ring with David Flair, it's really hard for me not to pay attention to that. That that's a great way to open a show right there.
0: So it's supposed to be a Goldberg interview. That's what mean Gene was teasing. Instead the Wolfpack music plays and out comes David Flair. And I, I even forgot that David was in the NWO, but here he is in the red and black. And he's saying, I'm not leaving this ring until my dad comes out here and talks to me like a man. He's been chirping all week, and he wants to talk to me. Well, here I am. Come out and talk to me like a man. He's been dragging it on all week. Let's get it over with. I'm not leaving the building. I'm not leaving the ring. And then Tori says, hey, Rick, get your old butt out here and talk to, uh, talk to your son. And what I thought was fun. If if you watch the tape back, you'll notice that as soon as David gets in the ring, he starts talking to me Gene. Mean Gene knows where the hard cam is and knows that David would be positioned behind Tori. So people can't see him. So as he's holding the mic for Dave, He grabs his right elbow very gently and eases him over as to say, Hey, come this way, kid. We can't see you. The old pro Mean gene helping out the, uh, the young David
1: flair here. Gene was the epitome of a pro. He, he just, he was so good. I miss him badly. There's nothing like seeing, you know, over the last few years before he passed away, I'd see Gene on the road at different autograph signings and conventions and that type of thing. And then inevitably, we would find ourselves sitting together at the, 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 the hotel bar, usually at night, and having a couple cocktails. And it was just always such a treat to, to meet with Gene and hang out with Gene because he was a fun guy, great stories, had seen a million things, and always had a great attitude.
0: And here we see Goldberg coming to the ring, wearing jeans and no shirt. He's coming to, uh, confront David Flair perhaps, but certainly have a conversation with me and Jean because that was the original plan. And David Flair has interrupted. Let's see what, uh, what goes down here. We should mention that, uh, there's a lot of, of, of interesting stuff going on behind the scenes, including Kevin Nash going on his website. Asking fans to send him on him ideas on how to bring sting back to WCW television. Uh, Wade would write sting wants to return with the white face paint and drop from the ceiling because that's what was happening when he was most over, but the bookers don't want a rerun to rerun at the same angle. Sting's been working house shows over the weekend against Bret Hart and Nash is said to be extremely frustrated with how poorly things are going in general with his booking. Um, what do you remember about, Kevin Nash and, and wanting to get feedback from the fans and was he sort of marching to the beat of his own drummer or was he in tune with the rest of the booking committee?
1: No, I mean, I, I think at this point, again, the timeline, you know, Conrad and, you know, for, for, for you, those of you listening, wherever you are in all four corners of the globe you know, the timeline is hard to, for me to reflect back on and, and remember in any specific detail. You know, this is 20 some odd years ago or whatever. I do believe Kevin was booking at this point. Uh, and look, Kevin, one of the great things about Kevin is he, he stays current, you know, even though at this point he had been around the industry for a long time. You know, Kevin had a very open mind, still does. Uh, and and was looking for ways to kind of re-energize and a new way approach new, a new way you know to approach creative, and he was willing to experiment. He wasn't an old school, you know. This is the way we've always done it, so let's do it this way. So I think going to the fans and early on, when is this? 1999. So this is clearly you know quite a while before social media and you know the evolution of the internet. But Kevin was smart enough to realize that if you can engage the fans and make them part of the show, there's a chance you might be able able to, uh, to capture lightning in the bottle in a sense. And it was an experiment. It was an effort. It was an attempt and hats off to him.
0: How about Rick Flair here but, coming in to make the save. As soon as we see him walking in the back, he had just arrived in his limo. Doug Dillinger points to a monitor and he could see that Goldberg had attacked his son in the corner. He immediately sprints to the ring, takes his jacket off, chops Goldberg. That allows Dave to powder out and then up for the big press slam and now Blair saying i'm the most powerful man in wrestling and i'm the greatest wrestler of all time and you want to pick a fight with me you're on tonight main event pal so our main event is set even though it was a very slow start for the first hour opening the show with a hot bill goldberg rick flair setup for tonight's main event that's pretty cool man that uh that feels like a totally different show
1: now it it does feel like a totally different show, and there's a tremendous amount of intensity. Bill Goldberg, you know, really looking—he's a phenomenal show. You know, it's, we should talk about Bill Goldberg now. I mean, he—you know, WWE—he's front and center. Um, he, he's probably, in some respects, enjoying one of the—you know—apexes of his career. Uh, in w- with the current role uh, that he has in WWE. so hats off to Bill, but he looks in great shape here, and he looks in great shape now. really impressed with Bill. You know bill and and now, Bill, you know, you look at the the WWE legends that they you know that are part of WWE. there's very few of them that can get in the ring, if any that can really get in the ring and engage in physicality and, you know, hats off to bill for staying in you know, great enough shape to still be able to get in there at a very high level, you know, right now in WWE, uh, perform and I'm guessing make a ton of cash.
0: I would think you would have
1: a, uh, a good guess there. Yeah. I know bill. <laughs> <laughs> I know bill. Well, he is rolling in cash. <laughs>
0: Well, good for him. And you know what? It was, uh, a pretty criticized decision recently because there was a lot of passionate fiend fans, but from a mainstream box office attraction, if the rumors are true and they really are trying to have more OTT sales or traditional pay-per-view sales, uh, from WrestleMania this year, then Roman reigns and bill Goldberg would even catch a very casual fan. Like if I told my dad, for instance, Hey, uh, the Fiend. Uh, if he said, "Son, what's the WrestleMania main event this year?" Uh, Roman Reigns and the Fiend. Oh, okay. And if I said Roman Reigns and Goldberg, that would say, "Oh, what time's that? Come on, Are you getting it? Can I come watch?" You
1: know, you know is it, isn't not it interesting though? You know, and, and and I'm not criticizing those who criticize. Okay, but I'm just observing. You know, a little bit of a, a different perspective than the average person, obviously, because you know I was part of all this. But you know, it's so interesting because there is so much criticism, you know, of what WWE did with with Fiend and Bill, or the, at least there was. But you know, I think that criticism is unwarranted. You know, from a couple points of view. One, the one you just you know discussed is well, where does it go? We don't know the end of the story yet. You know, when 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 you know Bill beat Fiend in, in Saudi Arabia recently. You know, everybody was all lit up about it. And critiquing it, and you know what a bad choice that was, you know. But they don't know how it's going to play out. They don't know the end of the story. It would be like going into a movie theater, buying your tickets, sitting there watching the first five minutes of a movie, and deciding it sucked before you you really understood where the story was going, or being critical of it, you know, before you even really knew where it was going and what the second act was and what the third act was, and more importantly, how the movie ended. And I think that's one of the things that wrestling fans today. You know, those that, you know, probably get, you know, overdosed uh, and, and need to detox themselves on the peripheral wrestling kind of narrative that is, you know, look, these people that produce dirt sheets and online websites and things like that, they need to keep your attention. They need to say controversial things. They need to have a point of view. And sometimes it's, you know, more colorful or negative or whatever designed to, you know, create a response and get a click. Um, but I, I think with, with with Bill Goldberg and as you pointed out, you know Roman Reigns, the Fiend story. Before you you know shit on it and and make up your mind, it's going to be horrible. Give it a chance to play out. It may be the best thing that's ever happened to Fiend. It may be you know a, a great move for him long term. You you don't know until you see it play out. You know criticize it a year from now. Don't criticize it before you see the end of it. Not shilling, by the way. I am not freaking shilling i'm saying that you know from a guy who was you know was criticized a lot for a lot of the things that we started to do that eventually became successful ah well oh, i don't know nitro you know the launch of nitro everybody in the peripheral you know media um you know what are they doing they'll never be able to compete with money and rob bischoff is out of his mind turner's crazy they're gonna go out of business but blah, blah 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 cut to nitro at this point i I think it's fair to say at this point in in 2020 i think nitro probably had one of the most significant positive impacts in the wrestling industry across the board uh, than anything else in the past 30 years and and i and i know i'm you know probably sound like i'm patting myself on my on the back because in a sense i am but nonetheless it's true you know you look at you know, all of the things that happened as a, positively, that happened as a result of Nitro. You know, WWE upping its game, WWE going live, WWE, you know, figuring out and then adapting, you know, the the Nitro era or or the NWO era, which, you know, from their perspective became the Attitude Era. And you're still seeing you know, the, the, the impact of, you know, early Nitro across the board, including in AEW, as much as they try to Suggest as Tony Khan did recently that you know we're going to do everything different than Eric Bischoff did. Well, guess what, MFR? You're doing about as much of what I did as anybody else in the industry. So, you know, it's and I'm not defensive about that. I think it's just a fact if you look at things objectively. The things that we did on Nitro, you're still seeing today. There are things that changed the nature, the landscape, the entire industry. And I think it's even fair to say, now I'm into my third Starbucks, uh, it's even fair to say that WWE wouldn't be the company it is today had it not been for the pressure, the influence, and frankly, the, the template that we created that they were able to follow and, and took to the next level. So, there. I'm off my soapbox. Sorry.
0: Two things. First of all, we opened uh, our first match here. It's uh, it's Raven and Sandman, two former ECW World Champions. They're already in the ring when we see each other or when we see them. Uh, they immediately drop their weapons and hug and then Raven turns on him and they start to get in it. And there's already Barbar set up in the corner. Sandman takes the upside down bump. They're getting ready for a hardcore title or a hardcore King of Hardcore match rather uh at this uncensored pay-per-view coming up and it's a three-way with Bigelow. So Bigelow inserts himself after a big table spot where raven climbed the nitro set and put sandman through the table i guess this is hardcore hack here my apologies and now we see in the loading dock area in the back uh they're really having at it these are three former ecw world champions and uh even though it might not be your cup of tea it is a wild and crazy way to sort of hit the reset button on a bunch
1: of pre-tapes you know what Uh, have you spent much time with sandman no, you ever no, hung around with him no, a little just,
0: bit? Just, no, a couple phone calls. He worked a StarCast for me, but I've never hung out
1: with him. No, he, he's a great guy. He is a fun guy to hang out with. And you know, you looking back now, we're twenty years ago or whatever it was. Look, Sandman, ha- Hardcore Hack, whatever you want to call him, not necessarily an athlete. You know, a, a a typical athlete in in professional wrestling at this point, but the stuff he did this shit he put himself through and the bumps that he took not necessarily being in the best shape in the world were amazing he went a tough son of a bitch but if you ever get a chance to hang out with him take it because he's a fun guy to be around he's got a great sense of humor uh, great energy about him fun guy
0: now back to what i really wanted to talk about did you just call tony Khan a motherfucker
1: no i said mfr
0: oh so what what does that
1: mean done use your imagination look I got nothing against Tony I got I'm, I love aew I, I'm rooting for their success but I'm you know referring to an interview that, that he did a while back and I n- never read it I didn't pay any attention to 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 anything at that in that particular week online because i was traveling whatever but i was doing uh 83 weeks with christy Olson on youtube last wednesday and she brought it to my attention she kind of caught me by surprise with it you know to to hear tony khan kind of dismissing you know wcw and i think the suggestion is he's you know he's doing everything the opposite of what wcw did well good luck with that you know you're you're you know so far he's been i don't know probably 100 million dollars proving that he can compete with you know the wwe development territory and all of a And he thinks he's you know vince mcmahon good luck with that brother can't wait to see how it all turns out but i'm rooting for you i really am i know it sounds like i'm not but i really am
0: in real life you would get along great with tony
1: no, oh, I'm sure, you know, and I'm, look, I, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm, I probably sound like I got more chapped ass than I really do over this, but I get it. You know, he's been in the business, you know, just for a few months, really. He, he's new at this. He, you know, putting in the spotlight, he's getting a lot of questions that, you know, um, mm-hmm. probably at some point in time, he feels like he's got a you know, make a strong response to to sound like he's really, you know, got his, you know, hands on the business and understands the business. I get that. I was in that position. I understand it. I I I don't hold it against him. It's just it seemed like kind of a silly thing to say when you're naming all your pay-per-views FWCW pay-per-views, when you know your production is all former WCW production, when your staging is pretty much early, you know, low budget nitro. You know, it, 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 when you're paying huge amounts of money, huge amounts of money to some of your top stars, more than they've ever made in their lives in some cases, including some of the announced talent, uh, you know, guaranteeing those dollars, you know, a, a lot of the same things that, you know, WCW had to do when they were trying to establish themselves. Um, you know, when you're following in so many of the footsteps of WCW in so many different ways, um, that wCW was you know criticized for by the way in terms of guaranteed contracts and paying huge sums of money and you know what they are I know what they are I'm not going to you know reveal them here but um, I think if the audience knew the the amount of money that some of the talent in aew was making they would probably go wait a minute that's a, the same kind of thing wCW did when they were trying to establish themselves so you know great to criticize easy to criticize especially when you've only been in the wrestling business for a cup of coffee or two but whatever like I said I'm not not really, um, my ass isn't really all that chapped, but I did take exception to it in, in, in a small way.
0: On some let's level, get off that. And some level, uh, and then we'll move on. When you took over WCW, I'm sure you probably were quoted here or there saying, well, we're not going to do things how Bill Watts did. And he probably had the same attitude. Well, this motherfucker's been running a wrestling company for a cup of coffee, but you had new fresh ideas. But some of what you were going to do is, hey, let's take, a look at what has worked in the past, but more importantly, let's work at what has not worked. Let's scrap that. So one of the the hallmarks of wrestling for a long time was the live event business. And you very quickly ascertained, well, we're losing money on those. So we're not doing them. I don't care if we're supposed to do them because we've always done them. We're getting rid of the house shows. So I think it's it's critical for any new business owner uh, or entrepreneur to take a look at what has worked and what not has worked and learn lessons from both. And I think it's probably fair to say that that's probably what Tony meant. Uh, I, I want to learn from what didn't work for WCW and try to avoid some of those mistakes because clearly he has borrowed uh, some of the ideas that did work for WCW as well.
1: And and, and I agree with you. I agree with you. And and, and again, you know, I'm probably a little over uh, overly sensitive to to the way that the story read. It didn't read as well as you just stated it, but I agree with you. You know, and I think everybody, look, I, I think Vince McMahon right now should look at his own product and say, okay, that that worked for a long time, and we've been doing this for a long time, but we need to, you know, we need to evolve with the audience. We need to change the way we present our characters. We need to change the way we present our storylines. I, I think that's absolutely necessary. Or you, you know, you're going to continually do the same things you've always done and hope to get different results, and we all know, you know, what that means. So, no, I don't look, I I, had the article or had Tony's statement, you know, uh, been as complete as your characterization of it. Um, I would have taken no exception to it. But the way it read was like, you know, WCW was a joke. They fucked up their wrestling business. You know, they didn't, you know, they, they advertised events that never happened. Well, hey, hey, brother, you know, when you're producing 200 shows a year and you're overseas and you're 200 live events a year and you've got two primetime television shows that are topping the charts, you know, year after year, then I'll be impressed. But until then, be a little careful about what you criticize. But, you know, approaching the business differently, I'm a big fan, I'm a big supporter of that. This backstage is actually phenomenal. I'm not a big fan of these types of brawls backstage because you know it's it's they're hard to to work as talent. They're hard to shoot as producers and make them look you know as believable and and and, and as intense as the action in the ring because it's just harder to to do the things that look great on television you know on a, on a hard concrete floor. But these guys did a great job. I
0: love the way we bam finished. bam and
1: Raven and Sam now.
0: I love the way we finished the recap of, uh, uh the, the brawl backstage last week where the Sandman hit using the cane to hit the cameraman, the cameraman goes down and of course, does an effect on the camera really well done. And again, another promo for this big pay-per-view, we see the construction of the steel cage, we see the bar bar going on. And when I see all this construction, I think about working on my car
1: Okay, you got to get us a play-by-play here, and I'm going to fill it in with color. But look at Ralphus and Chris Jericho; they're making their way down the entrance. This is awesome. I miss Ralphus. What a great character!
0: I miss this version of Chris Jericho. Jericho just won the, uh, a handful of awards. Well, he cleaned up. Let me back that up. I mean, like six or seven awards in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter last year, including biggest box office draw and uh, best promos and most charismatic, and even the Wrestler of the Year award, uh, which is the big one that everybody's looking for. But this version of Chris Jericho is my favorite. Uh, He's got the Jericho personal security with the midriff shirt from uh, Ralphus. He's coming out with a top knot. He's ripping up fan signs and a top knot in 1999. That was heat. You think it's heat now? It was heat back then. And uh, I love this version of him. It feels like he's really sort of come into his own and you see some of the uh, fans in the crowd agree, even though he's a heel, they're rocking their Monday night Jericho shirts and we're setting up a chain match with Liz Mark jr. Jericho's on the mic. I'm going to play the audio here for our
2: listeners. Hey, we're talking here, guy. Maybe all his focus is in the right place towards uncensored. You know, I want to talk about Perry Saturn, a man so embarrassing that he insists on coming out week after week in a dress. with a tremendous amount of audacity to challenge moi to a chain match on Sunday. But what you don't know, P.S., is that I am a specialized, trained master of the chain match. I trained with the yogis and the magic men at the top of the mountains in Nepal specifically for this day not only am i the ayatollah of rock and rolla but i am also the swami of the dog collar chain matchd but i'll tell you what i'm gonna do i'm gonna prove it to all of you tremendous wonderful Jerichoholics here tonight Sounds more like the and all of, of you at home so lizzie as your role model, as your hero, as your paragon of virtue, I command you to put on this collar and be the first link.
0: Didn't you believe that this is real life, man, such good stuff. Challenging Liz, Mark jr. Here to uh, do a chain match to set up for the big match, uh, coming up at the pay-per-view with Perry Saturn. It's a trilogy of matches. In fact. On pay-per-view for those guys. They first had that dress match at the, uh, sold out pay-per-view. And then of course at super brawl. And now we're getting to a chain match. Uh, and, and and we should mention Jericho's on his way out here. His last match is going to be with the company in July. Uh, so at this point you've been unsuccessful in getting him to resign. And, uh, he's got this three match feud here with, with Saturn. And then he's going to start winding things up. Were you still hopeful? we might still be able to pull something off. Or did you know at this point he's out of here?
1: Uh, March, I was probably still hopeful. We were probably still trying to, uh, to make something happen, but I'm sure in in Chris's case he had made up his mind. I'm gonna, let's call this one a little bit. You got uh, Chris Jericho in this in, in the center of the ring, Lizmark Jr kind of backing off right now. Jericho looks like he's trying to establish himself as the most aggressive, more offense out of Jericho. Crowd kind of seated, they're a little quiet if you look around the ring at this point. And now they're in the center of the ring and it's a tug of war with the chain. And Chris Jericho uses a chain or attempts to duck under by Lizmark. Lizmark counters with a nice dropkick in the corner and it looks like he wanted to lay some Chops on uh, Jericho, but Jericho reversed it. Tossed Liz Mark Jr. Flat on his back in the center of the ring. And now looks like he's going to choke him with the chain, which is the most appropriate thing to do when you have an advantage over your opponent is try to choke them to death with the chain. There you go. <laughs> Sports entertainment at its finest. Give everybody nice a- elbow to the back of the freaking noggin by Chris Jericho as he wrapped his elbow in this chain. And by the way, the chain—if you're not uh, watching along with us—this is not just not just a little chain. This is the. This looks like a login chain. This looks like the kind of chain you'd pull the semi out of a snowbank with. So there's a there's definitely definitely some heft to the chain in the ring. Liz Mark Jr. on the receiving end, Snapmare. On the uh, flat in the back in the center of the ring. And now what's Jericho doing? It looks like he's going to use that chain on his knee, drop it right in the face of Liz Mark Jr. That had to hurt. This is a good match so far. I it like is it. a
0: good match. And by the way, it's, uh, this, this tale of two nitrous continues, man. This is good stuff.
1: This is great stuff. Over the top goes Liz Mark Jr. Jericho now standing on his chest giving us the Hulk Hogan pose Hulk Hogan Jericho goes Hulk Hogan on us right in the center of the ring proving not only can he reinvent himself over and over and over he is not not immune to stealing somebody else's gimmick whenever appropriate Irish whip into the rope, reverse. Oh no! Attempted reversal by Lismark Jr. Jericho counters with a hard stop and a clothesline. Down goes Lismark Jr. And now, Jericho doing what any any clear-thinking individual would do is use that chain to choke his opponent again. This is outstanding ring psychology by Jericho. This here, is kind of fun.
0: Give everybody. The I misplay play here. Tell everybody where you are so they know they're on time with you.
1: Okay, right now, uh, yeah, because I may be a little ahead or a little, below, uh, a little behind, but I'm at one hour, six minutes, and 49 seconds is is my time code. So um, I, I'm, I'm at a hotel in Marina del Rey, and the, the Wi-Fi here is a little sketchy, so I, I may be just behind everybody else, but I'm sorry for that.
0: I think you're doing good, buddy. Let's talk about some news behind the scenes. Wade Keller would write, Sting sold his interest in his gym partnership with Lex Luger, While they still get along around each other, it's clear from what they say behind each other's backs that there's tension in a long-running friendship. Some of that tension stems from a phone call Sting's wife made filling in Luger's wife on some of the -the on-the-road confessions Sting made to his wife as part of becoming a born-again Christian. There's now heat on Sting among several of the wrestlers for selling them out to his wife. This is something we've never really talked about before, but did you hear about this, that when Sting decided to uh, turn his life around and he needed to just sort of spill the beans that unfortunately, some shrapnel hit some coworkers.
1: Yeah, Conrad, I, I, you know, I apologize for this, and there's very few things that I, you know, just won't talk about. But when it comes to this type of thing in the personal lives of, of individuals, especially those that I have a strong affection for, I'm just kind of not going to go there. You know what I mean? I, I apologize for it. It's a valid question, legitimate question, and I'm probably not being the best podcaster when I refuse or don't engage in this type of thing, but it's just not my, not my thing, brother.
0: Uh, All good. Uh, let's keep it moving. Kevin Nash and Eric Bischoff came up with the idea for Goldberg to challenge Steve Austin to a fight on the tonight show. The idea has been completely abandoned after it didn't come across. Well, initially Austin laughed it off, telling people that it confirmed to anyone who didn't already know that he is a bigger star than Goldberg. This of course comes from Wayne Keller why didn't you? Why didn't you guys continue that? You just weren't happy with the presentation the first time and thought maybe better of it. Maybe that wasn't a good look for us.
1: Yeah, it's exactly it. You hit it right on the head. It just it, you know, nice idea on paper, but the reaction to it was really adverse, really negative uh, for Bill for WCW. It 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 made us look like we were chasing as opposed to leading, and the audience, you know, they see that right away. They they see through it, and it just again. Sounded like a cool idea, but it just didn't come off and the the, the reaction was so negative that we, we got away from it as quick as we could. Understood it. You know, controversy creates cash, you know. Austin was huge at this point, Bill was emerging at this point, but it's still it I, I think it I think it made Bill look bad in retrospect.
0: Let's talk about Bill. There's a Sunday newspaper supplement magazine called react. That's aimed at teenagers and they did a whole pro wrestling story and it mostly focused on Goldberg and they called him wrestling's biggest star. And, uh, Goldberg is quoted here about the WWF as saying he considers it shock TV and he would rather retire than be a part of it. Of course, now we know he's, uh, probably in the main event of WrestleMania. So things change
1: pal. <laughs> yeah, they usually come with dollar signs and decimals. Uh, but, you know, again, you know, this is where these, these watch-alongs and we go back and we analyze the different things that people said and did. And, you know, from what we see in the ring to what we hear backstage to, you know, people's response in the peripheral media. You know, Bill was a lot younger then. He was – he was, keep in mind, what has he, he been in the industry for – two years at this point. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, he was greener than green. It was a world that he wasn't familiar with. It was a, uh, a culture, you know, professional wrestling was a culture that bill was still getting used to. And he said a lot of things, you know, Partly because Bill is, you know, he's about as bombastic as anybody I've met and worked with. He's, he wears his emotion on his sleeve. He's got a very high opinion of himself, deservedly so. He's accomplished a lot. And he's, he's very opinionated. He sees things the way he sees things, and he doesn't leave a lot of room for uh, interpretation uh, or, or uh, subtlety. And I'm sure he said some things then that he wouldn't say now, but again – People have to keep in mind, where was Bill Goldberg, you know, in, in his trajectory within this industry at this point? And he was probably still had his training wheels on in many respects.
0: So just in case you're not watching with us, we've got Scott Steiner front and center, he is the world television champion. Buff Bagwell is with him. They did tons of posing. Now we see Scott cutting a promo, uh, promising exactly what he's going to do. Uh, in his next match, but the big thing is he's just getting heat (laughs) from the crowd saying that some of you pencil neck geeks in the uh, audience who go to the gym, you think you're going to look like this one day. You're not, you should save your little $30 membership, get a case of beer and take a look at what a real man looks like. And later tonight, some lady is going to realize nothing's finer than Scotty Steiner and all my freaks are out here and I'm going to have some hoochie calling me the big bad booty daddy later today. It's weird.
1: You know, Scott Scott Steiner, is so his interviews at this point were so fantastic. You know, I liken, you know, again, we're going back to, you know, 1999. It's a 1999 version of a Scott Steiner promo, it, the reason it, it got over, you know, it, 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 probably for the same reason that people watch, you know, bull riding, because you know there's a good chance there is going to be a hell of a train wreck. There's, it's, you know, it, it, you know, there's going to be something soon that's going to happen that you're going to walk away going, oh, holy shit. I can't believe he said that or did that. That was, you know, what typified a Scott Steiner interview at this point. And uh, they were classic. They're, they're cult classics to this day. Many of them.
0: No doubt about it. You know, and this is, uh, it's fun to so, sort of go back and look at Scott Steiner in this era, especially when you know, a few weeks ago, we were looking at Scott Steiner from the early nineties and, and he had no confidence in his promo ability. And you could tell he was just uncomfortable doing it. He didn't want to do it. And the result was a terrible promo. You fast forward a few years and man, he feels like he's in his element here. It's funny. Cause years ago, I had a conversation with Rick about how Scott Rick Steiner. I mean, and we had talked about how Scott had sort of recreated himself with the big booty daddy character after they split and they were no longer a tag team. And, uh, I remember Rick saying once well, the first time Scott went out and did a promo like this, when he comes back through the curtain, Rick just goes over to him and says, where the fuck did that come from? Where's that been? Because for years, Scott was not the guy who wanted to do the talking. And Rick was the more entertaining and charismatic promo of the two. And man, he just came into his own in this era. Did he know it?
1: He really did. And, and I think as he got more and more confidence, he started having more and more fun. And you know, that's one of those vicious, you know, circles or vicious cycles that you really hope happens scott was looking forward to cutting these promos but like i said none of us knew i don't think scott knew half the time what he was going to say until after he said it he just it was so much fun to watch but it was a little scary you know it it was a little bit like skydiving you know you you know you got a parachute you just hope hope the hell it works <laughs> and you weren't sure till you landed on the ground and that was the scott Steiner promo you weren't sure it was going to work or what was going to happen uh until after it was over but that was part of the excitement of it and you know one of the things here too for those listening at home that aren't able to watch you know at this point wcw was really struggling we've gone over that quite a bit but as you pointed out there's probably a quarter of a million dollar gate here i believe yeah. is what you said at the beginning of the show you've got a hell of a crowd here you know and I don't know what gates are you know today for television tapings but you know it is People like to, again, kind of going back to the Tony Khan comment. You know, when you're drawn, you know, once a week, two hundred quarter, you know, uh, a quarter of a million dollars, you know, for your TV tapings or your TV presentation, the live ones. You know, let's. I'll be excited for for any new wrestling promotion when they start reaching this level of success. And this is WCW and Nitro, probably, you know, on, on the downside. So this is an interesting time. Like I said, WCW was struggling internally, corporately, financially in every way. But the audience that bought their tickets here and filled this arena, it looks like it could be close to a sellout. I don't know if it was. Um,
0: 1,800 shot you know, right here. But still, over yeah, 9,700 paid.
1: Yeah, it, it looks awesome. You know, and, and the crowd is into the action. By the way, despite I'm, the incredibly long first hour, they're into the action.
0: Just about two years after this, the final WCW world title match happens between these two guys. We've got Scott Steiner and Booker T a former one half of, uh, one of the most decorated tag teams of all time, Harlem heat, and obviously one half of the best tag teams of all time Steiner brothers now in singles competition here for the television title, but fast forward two years and a couple of weeks and uh, it's the last world title match on nitro it's uh, it's fun to see how these guys sort of evolved and man that's a lot of beef in the ring right now you got two big jacked up dudes and when it comes to beef Now back to the action here, they're still going after it. I mean, really once the, uh, the live nitro started, this is a pretty kick-ass show, you've got two incredibly great wrestlers here, uh, awesome tag wrestlers. Now really talented very successful singles wrestlers, big personalities. They look like pro wrestlers. They have high impact moves. I mean, you're checking all the boxes on this show so far. I love the Jericho Lizmark stuff. I love the Raven hack stuff because I was an old DCW guy. The hot action with uh, Goldberg and Flair setting up the main event—we're checking a lot of boxes right now, man. It's a good show.
1: No, it really is a good show, despite the you know the the you know the, the slow you know first hour. But the action in the ring in the arena is excellent. And you know, I, I, we talk about Booker T a lot because he, he was such a, a big part of WCW and Nitro during the era that we're covering here. But I can't again can't say enough about Booker T. Uh, Not only a phenomenal talent in the ring, I think his career is Hall of Fame worthy and then some. Uh, but so successful now, you know that he's retired from the ring. He's not only doing a lot of work behind the scenes with WWE, behind the scenes, I mean, on camera, but in some of the pregame shows and that type of thing, um, color commentary, you know, from time to time. But he's also working with ESPN and covering boxing. You know, he's got his own radio show. He's got his own wrestling school. He's got his own uh, wrestling uh, television show out of the Houston area. So I mean, there's so many great things going on in Booker T's life. He's hardworking. He's a smart guy, he's a talented guy can't say enough good things about Booker T and Scott Steiner as you pointed out You know, still active in the ring You know, uh, hopefully after this recent uh, health scare we'll, he'll, he'll be back in the ring because he loves it Scott's not doing it because he needs the money and he's not doing it because his ego needs it, he's doing it because he loves it and I, I understand that uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know there are people who who think it's time for Scott, you know, to get out of the ring and, you know, look back at his career. But you know it's hard to do that when it's something that you absolutely love and you enjoy doing.
0: Well, I'm glad you had a good experience with him.
1: Well, I didn't say it was a good experience. It was just, <laughs> you know, uh, it was any any yeah. I and I had some good experiences with Scott. Trust me, we had you know we had some fun times together. But uh, towards the end, it got you know, ass ugly. And uh, not necessarily, you know, he doesn't get any Christmas cards from me, nor do I get them from him. But uh, it is what it is. Scott's his own. He, he's a weird cat. You know, you just gotta kind of accept it and not take it too personally because it's Scott. And Scott's really taking it to Booker T here. If you're not watching along with us, a couple big booths. Booker T is, he's selling his ass off. Referee Randy Anderson looking on Buff Bagwell, looking as goofy as ever on the side of the ring, cheering uh, Scott on. And Scott, you know, takes his time, slows it down, lets the crowd kind of settle in a little bit before I'm guessing Booker T is going to make a comeback pretty soon because he's been on the receiving end of Scott Steiner's action. And, yo, down goes Booker T flat on his back in the middle of the ring. What does that mean? What is Scott? going to do next oh a slow cover not very exciting kick out on two No, Rand- oh, that's not randy anderson who is that referee i don't have my glasses on
0: it looks like uh drake wurtz from wwe but it's not
1: yeah i can't like i said i don't have my glasses on so i can't tell who it is don't recognize him but i do recognize scott Siner going in looks like a body slam oh no he's going to run him into the top turnbuckle in the corner of the ring he's got booker t hung upside down. Scott Sander hooks a leg under the turnbuckle and now is going to go to work on Booker T. Reverse chin lock, pulling him from behind, going to turn Booker T into a banana hanging upside down in the corner of the ring as Scott Sander cranks the neck and pulls him backwards, and Booker T. selling his ass off here. Marcus Bagwell looks like he's probably in, well, I was going to say the best shape in his life, but the most jacked in his life would probably be the most appropriate
0: No, he looks great here.
1: Scott Steiner setting up Booker T again. Now Booker T, now he's going to make his comeback. He goes behind, slips it, comes back on Scott Steiner. Booker T's still selling, but he's got Steiner down. Things are looking a little brighter now for Booker T. Scott Steiner, the one up first, though, shaking his head, trying to regain his senses, sets up. Attempted right hand. Booker T comes back with a right of his own. Blocking another right of his own. Booker T fighting back, making his comeback. Sells a shot to the knee and counters with a shot to the midsection with a knee of his own. And then, boom, down goes Steiner. Down goes Steiner. I got to stop this. I get to have – it starts to get to be too much fun and I'm entertaining only myself. (laughs) Wicked freaking clothesline by Booker T. Now – the tide has really turned. This is a comeback. It's a slow build of a comeback, but it is nonetheless a comeback. Irish rope. And down goes Steiner, Booker T. Spin Rudy. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. His eyes as big as saucer plates. He can't wait. Boom. Joe! Oh, nice. Knee to the chops. Booker T's going wild, The crowd, look at them. They're standing. They're cheering. They love Booker T as he makes his way to the top rope. Booker T on. Oh, down to freaking Bagwell, you dirty bastard. Just as Booker T was about to come off the top rope, the crowd at a crescendo, fucking Bagwell pulls his leg out from underneath him and nutshots him on the top turnbuckle, giving. Scott Steiner, the advantage, and now Scott Steiner back in control. Fuck. Sorry. got caught up.
0: I like when you get into it like this. I wish you were doing commentary for somebody these days. That'd be fun.
1: Yeah. Probably too much fun for me and not for the audience, but whatever. No,
0: I think think they have fun when you have fun. You can tell when,
1: when somebody's enjoying themselves. Yeah, you can. Definitely. Booker T's not enjoying himself at this point. <coughs> Sorry, guitar cough. Got a lot of non-coronavirus. Stuff. You know, let's.
0: Um, so you've mentioned it twice now because it's just it's it's all anybody's talking about in in the media and on social media. Tons of major events have been canceled. Uh, South by Southwest. There was that big music festival in uh, Miami uh basel or the the big uh, watch show that was canceled the geneva uh, auto show was canceled so lots of major uh sort of uh tentpole events for various industries have been canceled as a result of the uh the threat of this virus and even um the month of march new japan suspended all their shows so you won't see any wrestling from them this month and a lot of the flights from, uh, American airlines and, and us air, those have been suspended from Japan to America. So there's, uh, there's a wonder there's a debate online, even though WWE put a statement out this past week saying we're going to go forward with our plans for WrestleMania. And there are no plans to do anything different. What if it's not up to them? and the government whether it's state or federal intervenes and says nope we can't have 70,000 people from all over the world what do you think the likelihood of maybe there's a uh, a canceled wrestlemania on the horizon
1: I, I have no idea. Neither does anybody else. You know, it's, it's funny. As we sat down, I was going through my phone. You know, I, I get my notices pop up every once in a while. And I just looked at one that said, like, there's a major run at Costco on toilet paper. I think people are just every, overreacting. You know the media, and I don't want to get political. I promise I won't, because it's across the board. It's it's not you know liberal or conservative or this network or that network. It's everywhere. People are just being so overreactive. This is a virus. Yes, it's a it's a serious virus. Yes, it's it, is it possibly more you know dangerous, if you will, than the flu. But it's been so overblown, and I think people are. St- Reacting so much to it out of fear, created and manifested primarily by a media that just wants to keep people's attention. Right. The same way they do with weather. The you know is the same reason now there's such a thing as a bomb cyclone. What the fuck? Who decided to start? When did that come about? Well, it came about as a result of the media looking for ways to make people afraid, to keep them tuned in, to, to make people insecure and, and feel like the only way they're going to know anything is to watch the news or watch the weather. You know, I, I think people should just settle down, use common sense, and, and, and not worry or anticipate too much other than just you know like i said common sense you know listen to you know the cdc and some of their guidelines and just use your freaking head and don't be paranoid but i think speculating about what could happen and what might happen or 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 worse yet you know having a position to make it sounds like your opinion actually matters on such things is so premature i you know i refuse to to be a part of it I'm go. going about my business. I'm, I'm here in Los Angeles. I'm shaking hands with people. You know, I'm, I'm going about my, I'm doing my my business, uh, taking a couple extra precautions. You know, I got a little jar of Purell with me. And if I do shake somebody's hand or I am in a, a public place and I feel like it might make sense, you know, to uh, take it, an extra step, I'll take it. But, you know. Not afraid to get on a plane, not afraid to go out in public, not afraid to attend a big event. Uh, my daughter's, you know, running in a marathon in Los Angeles. It has 26,000 runners, you know, from all over the country. They didn't shut that down. The LA marathon wasn't canceled, even though there's a, you know, a lot of cases of, uh, Corona, uh, concern here. Uh, it is what it is.
0: Speaking of it, not worried about is, it. we just saw <clears throat> Jerry Flynn talking a little smack to Sonny Ono. Now, Sonny, Ono with a little help from the cat, cuts off Jerry Flynn's ponytail. And, uh, Jerry Flynn looks like he has the same tailor as Michael Hayes. And, uh, in order to bribe Jerry Flynn, Sonny Ono reached in his pocket and said, Hey, can you imagine the money that me and you and cat could make together? And he fanned out about $12 singles individuals <laughs> and said, smell the money. And it was $12. And it I don't know. It fucking tickled me for a backstage vignette. And of course, these guys are going to be involved in a three-way dance at the pay-per-view. That's right. Sonny Ono, the cat, and, and uh, yeah, Jerry Flynn. Wow. And we're back to commercial. That's compelling. Yeah, it is compelling. I mean, listen, it, it can't all we can't have all winners on this show. Every now and again, there's got to be a miss, and that was one. But this is not going to be Scott Norton, your man, going to be taking on the incredible Rey Mysterio here. Talk about Styles Clash, huh?
1: No kidding. But this is, you know, this is Rey Mysterio, the the, the little engine that could. Yep. You know, we saw it with Bill Goldberg, or excuse me, Kevin Nash. And now he's going to get in there with Scott Norton. And this ought to be interesting. I'm actually, I, I don't remember this match, so it's going to be fun for me to watch it. Uh, Scott Norton, by the way, great guy, uh, recovering from, I think, a knee surgery most recently. One of my favorite people in the business. I know I say that probably a lot, but you know, when I'm on the road, there are certain people I really look forward to running into and hanging out with. There's some people I you know avoid at all costs. Um, but Scott's not one of those. You know, every time I see Scott, it's always fun to hang out with Scott. One of the more entertaining people. If you can, he's kind of like Arnie Anderson. You know, if you can sit down with him and get him on a little bit of a roll, you can just sit back and laugh your ass off because he can be funny as hell.
0: We should mention, he's got a great book that came out in July of last year. Scott Norton, Strong Style. You can get it on Amazon or anywhere you enjoy books. But Amazon has it right now, and you can get it uh, um, fairly quickly. I think they've got a Kindle version as well for like 8 bucks. But he's a great guy who's got an interesting perspective. He was not only here for a lot of the major things that happened in the, the Monday Night War era, but he's also got... Uh, all the experience from over in Japan and just uh, a good dude. Somebody you should check out, read, read more about his story in his life before and after wrestling. And, uh, it's available on Amazon. It's called strong style. I think you'll dig it.
1: Yeah, and if you're look, if you're a fan of of New Japan Pro Wrestling today, you know New Japan Pro Wrestling has you know a tremendous legacy in history, and it had ups and downs. But I think, I think it's fair to say, you know, your buddy Dave Meltzer may disagree with me. I don't know, um, but I think Scott was a part of New Japan during the period in New Japan Pro Wrestling's history when they were. I hate to say glory days, but I, I think at their peak in terms of business and influence on the American style of wrestling that we see today, Scott was a part of that. He, he was deep into it and his relations and his relationships and his matches is uh, something that if you're a fan today of New Japan Pro Wrestling or even current wrestling uh, as as we see it here in the United States, you owe it to yourself to check that book out because it'll give you a different perspective from someone who is really there and and in the ring. Scott looking awesome here. Head shaved, probably in some of the best shape you know of his career. Uh, Scott's a big guy, you know, big, powerful guy, but he's pretty, pretty lean here for scott wasn't carrying a lot of extra weight just really really uh in in great shape one of the strongest people i think if you talk to anybody that's ever worked with him one of the things that most people will agree with is scott was probably one of the strongest people they were ever in the ring with
0: oh he just picked him up like a child and threw him down i mean it's just unbelievable you talk about barrel chested that's a big barrel chested motherfucker right there
1: He is. And, you know, he's so, you know, you talk to Scott and he's got this really deep voice. I mean, his voice sounds like Scott Norton looks right. Right. Uh, But when you get to know him, one of the gentlest people you'll ever meet in your life. Really? I mean, the Scott Norton that you see and hear in the ring and the Scott Norton that you would come to know if you, if you hung out with him for more than 20 minutes, completely different people. Such a, such a cool cat. His wife, on the other hand is vicious. His wife is scarier than Scott is. And I say that with love. <laughs> Eric, did you know, that? because I don't want her to be mad at me. I don't want her to be mad at me.
0: <laughs> when, uh, when I, we're looking at guys who are in the condition that Mysterio and Scott Norton are here, uh, it makes me think of something I, I read recently. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life, chronically dehydrated? we're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus, but it doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates uh, flavored electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. And each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes that your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. That's going to help you hydrate quickly and help you stay hydrated all day long. And Hydrant is backed by research, of course. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. And there's no synthetic colors. There's no artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavor packs or a variety pack. And Hydrant starts for just uh, a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. And you can save even more if you have a monthly subscription. And right now, you can get 25% off your first order Go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code 83Weeks at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and the promo code is 83Weeks and you'll get 25% off your first order. That's drinkhydrant.com and the promo code is 83Weeks. And Eric, you and I both got our first batch of this. I got to tell you, I wasn't exactly uh, sure what I was opening, but then once I actually tried it the next morning, uh, it clicked. I'm a believer hydrant is the real deal.
1: It is. And I'll tell you my experience, my shipment of Hydrant came while I was over in Qatar. <clears throat> so it arrived at, at my house and I, before I got back from Qatar. While I was over in the Middle East, I, I came down with, I don't know if it was a bad cold or sinus infection, whatever it was, but I, I came down with some crud, we'll just call it crud, and felt horrible, you know, after you know, 15 hours to the Middle East, 15 hours back, um, not feeling well while I was there, I, I was very dehydrated just from flying back and forth. Flying will dehydrate you, anyway. Long story short, when I got back, I was feeling like crap. Uh, I, I, I saw the package, I opened it up, not sure what it was. It was a hydrant um, product. And my wife said, "You got to, you have to take that now." I said, "Well, I'll take it tomorrow." She said, "No, you got to take it now. It has electrolytes in it." Because she reads the back of everything, I mean everything before we eat it or drink it. And she goes, "No, this is exactly what you need. You've been flying around. You've been sick. You haven't been eating well. You probably haven't had enough water. You're dehydrated. You need electrolytes." And sure enough, you know, I pounded two of them in a row. You only need one, but I I mix it with water and chugged them, and within about forty minutes, less than an hour, forty-five maybe, I could feel myself kicking out. So the electro electrolytes made a big difference. And you know, when you talk about staying hydrated, most people oh, you just need to drink water. No, you need electrolytes as well. And the way the the product is uh, is designed, it metabolizes very quickly. It was designed to metabolize and get into your system quickly. So, huge fan, huge fan. By the way, if you're hungover. If that's, you know, if you didn't come down with the crud and you haven't been flying for 40 hours and you're really feeling the effects of a hangover, trust me, electrolytes matter. They matter a lot. Drink you can kick hydrant. Out much quicker.
0: Drinkhydrant.com. Use that promo code 83weeks. You're going to get 25% off your first order. And I feel bad for poor Ray Mysterio here. He needs a little electrolyte in his life.
1: He needs a comeback right about now is what he needs. This is slowing down way too much. Come on. Give me a little Ray. Give me a little Ray Ray. Come back on this big bitch. Don't let him do you like that. Look at him. Scott Norton picking Ray Ray up by the seat of his pants. Drops a massive elbow into the small, very small, by the way, almost minuscule, small of the back of Ray Mysterio Jr. Ray Mysterio. This is before Ray got jacked. He was pretty much carrying his natural body weight at this point. Uh, maybe a little bigger than he was when he first got into WCW, but still not carrying too much weight. So very, very, uh, versatile, very flexible, very fast Ray Mysterio, but he'd get his ass whooped right about now by the big man. Oh, it's looking tough here. Ray Mysterio power bomb. Looks like a one handed power bomb. no throws him behind Scott Norton threw him behind. So that Ray Mysterio planted his face on the top turnbuckle. That looked pretty good. Actually, that, that looked awesome. Power bomb again, center of the ring. it Scott Norton throwing Ray Mysterio around like a wet bath towel, picks him up at a count of two. Could have had him a three. Randy Anderson says, what the fuck Scott pin him, get it over with. Have some mercy on the man. Damn. Sorry, there I go again. I apologize. Seven
0: minutes and twenty seconds is what they gave this match, but it feels a lot longer. It's such a one-sided beating here. Look at this—picking him up by one arm and just slamming him down. What a one,
1: display. one-handed slam? That was impressive. Oh, unbelievable! And how much sympathy now? Now I ask you—you know—from a fan's perspective. Are you feeling bad for for Ray here? Are you wanting to see a comeback or in your opinion is, oh, and Ray Mysterio kicked to the balls, sneaks in, makes the cover count. Quick escape by Ray Mysterio. He was playing possum. He was pretending he was more hurt than he was, looking for the opportunity to make a reversal and a comeback on Scott Norton. And what does he do? No high-flying Rey Mysterio, triple-A Lucha Libre stuff. It was just a good old kick to the fucking sack that put down the giant of a man, Scott Norton, and now Rey Mysterio. Nice, tight shot as Rey Mysterio standing at the top of the ramp underneath the nitro sign. Everything looking good. Rey Mysterio, happy as a Mexican clam. Awesome some <laughs>
0: I love when you get fired up and get into it.
1: God, that feels so good. It makes doing these these podcasts so much fun for me. I know the watch-alongs, you know, some people really, really love them. Other people that don't have a chance to kind of watch along with us get a little frustrated. So I know it's kind of a mixed bag. I have fun doing them because every once in a while I just get in the mood. After a cup of Java or two, I get the right amount of caffeine in me. I get to look at something like this. The Nitro Girls on the stage having a grand old time. Looking hot as hell. Hell, by the way, but I I do have fun. I I get caught up in it, and it makes it fun for me.
0: How about Whisper in the back, Shawn Michaels' wife?
1: I know. How many people – think about it. Not only has Nitro changed the landscape of the wrestling industry like no other wrestling company before or since. Let's just put that right out there. All right, but that's not the only thing that we accomplished. How many relationships? How many marriages? How many families started as a result of the relationships that were developed on Monday Night Raw? Sean Michaels and his wife—one perfect example. Booker T and Charmel—another perfect example. We have brought people together. We not only brought great wrestling action to the to, to the world. We created great relationships as well. And I'm very, very proud of that. It's pretty fun,
0: man. Another shot of this cage and the barbed wire. We're, uh, we're selling this pay-per-view hard, man. And as well, we should, Uh, it's a main event that, uh, probably thought you'd never see not only Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in a steel cage, but a barbed wire steel cage, a first blood match. Underneath the course, Booker T and Scott Steiner for the TV title, Perry Saturn and Chris Jericho in the dog collar match, uh, Ben Juan Malenko taking on Kurt and Barry Windham in a lumberjack match for the tag titles, a false count anywhere match to determine the real king of hardcore hack and bam, bam and Raven in a three-way dance. Jerry Flynn in a handicap match that we saw teased earlier, taking on Ernest Miller and Sonny Ono. Kevin Nash working with Rey Mysterio in a singles match. Stevie Ray in a Harlem street fight with Vincent for leadership of the NWO black and white. That's right. Whoever wins this Harlem street fight gets to lead the NWO black and white. Imagine if Vincent had won. Missed opportunity. And then uh, Billy Kidman and Mikey Whiprick for the Cruiserweight title kicks things off. Uh, It's a pretty loaded card when you think about all the talent that's on that show.
1: Loaded card indeed, but as we're watching along here now, if you're at home and not able to watch along, Van Hammer looking, I don't know, how would you describe that look as he came down the ramp with a tie-dye t-shirt? Kind of like a little bit of superstar Billy Graham, kind of a beach I'm kind of a look as he walks down to the ring, and I'm talking about Van Hamber before we get to Bret Hart, who, you know, wearing his hockey jersey. Van Hamber comes down, he's got his bottle of water, and I never understood this. Guys come down to the ring with a bottle of water. I get that, right? You want to be hydrated before you get into a, you know, an intense athletic competition like professional wrestling or presentation, I should say. But they come down with a bottle of water, they take a hit off the bottle of water, and they spit as they're making their engine. I don't get that. Like, what the fuck is the attraction to spitting a mouthful of water? Does it make you look cool? Does it make you look a little more intense? I think it makes you look like a fucking barn animal. I never really understood it. I can't stand it. It's one of the things that so many guys did. Now, nobody wants to see you spit. You know what I mean? There's just okay. things you do, and there's things that you don't do in public. And right. there's something things people just don't want to see. Nobody wants to see someone else spit. Just fucking so, disgusting. Just so I'm
0: clear, you hate Triple
1: H. I don't hate Triple H, but I, just the whole spitting thing. I just think it's fucking stupid. That's his gimmick. It's man. not cool. Yeah, no, eh, whatever. There's a lot of there's a lot <laughs> of gimmicks. This is not cool. I don't fucking dig it. I love that come up with something better.
0: So turned. Why don't off you just
1: take bit. a piss on the way to the ring? I'd be. Cool. You know, nobody wants to see you do that either.
0: Well, Dang I feel. It. Like, I Sorry. feel like. uh Bret Hart wanted to take a piss on the way to the ring. He didn't come to the ring in his trademark leather jacket. Instead, wearing his, uh, round shades, not the old classic Hitman shades and the, um, the hockey Jersey. And he's taking on van hammer. As you said, hammer is a, uh, peace and love flower child here with a, uh, tie dye tank top and some jeans that have been. Marked up and decorated. He looked like a uh, stoner extra from that seventies show. And uh yeah, of all the things we could do with Brett Hart, putting him in a match here with uh Van Hammer. I don't know.
1: Feels a little weird. Feels a little fucked up to me. Look, we all know, I'm not gonna get into this too much, like I said, you know, Brett and I had a, a brief and I mean like really brief conversation about a year ago in London or Liverpool. And I you know. Whatever. Pass is pass. Not going to spend any time burying anybody. It's not productive. But I have to say at this point, you know, if Bret Hart resented me, if Bret Hart was carrying around that resentment for a couple of years, maybe longer, maybe a decade or two, if there's a lot about Eric Bischoff that Bret Hart really just couldn't stand, this is an example of why I don't blame him. <laughs> I mean, putting Bret in there with Van Hammer wasn't my idea. I didn't, you know, I wasn't behind the creative on this, but it happened under my watch. It shouldn't have happened. It makes no sense. It, 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 I, Brett, I apologize publicly right here for for nothing else but doing this and and putting you in the ring with Van Hammer. That was fucked up.
0: Well, that's nice of you to say.
1: Well, it's truth. Look at that. I mean, come on. And I mean, here's this. Here's the flip side of that. Brett is making Van Hammer look 10 times better than he's ever looked. Right. Brett's doing a great job. He's he's a pro. And he's selling, you know, and a lot of guys wouldn't have. You know, and I'm not trying to put Brett over to make amends here, but a lot of guys wouldn't have given Van Hammer what Brett Hart is giving Van Hammer right here and working as hard to make him look as good as Van Hammer does. In this match,
0: it's just hard to imagine. You know, this was one of the hottest acts in wrestling. And, you know, two years prior to this, he was making Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13 and was going to uh, win the world title that year at SummerSlam and set the world on fire that summer with his America versus Canada angle. And now he's working in the middle of the card with Van Hammer doesn't have a pay-per-view match. He's not on the card at all.
1: Yep. I don't know what else to say on this. I I really don't. I, I actually feel bad. And again, the action inside of the ring, if you're not watching at home with us, the action inside of the ring is actually pretty good. I don't know. It's not like a world-class pay-per-view match, but it's damn good television. Yeah. It's great but it's just I I think it, it as you have pointed out um so well what a waste what a waste let me good uh, punches here by Van Hammers he's got uh, Bret Hart in the corner i mean like i said hammers looking as good as he's probably looked at at any point in his career in that in the match with uh, Bret Hart that we're watching right now and that's largely because of Bret Hart
0: we should mention that uh things aren't exactly uh At their all time, most creative best on TV these days, either though. Uh, recently it was revealed what was inside Rowan's cage that he had been teasing for months as a giant fake tarantula. What'd you think?
1: I like Eric Rowan. I got to work with Eric a little bit while I was in WWE and really helped him, uh, with, with some of his promos. Uh, trying to get him comfortable with him. And he's a, he's a very talented guy. Um, I don't think he's come out of his shell quite yet. I think there's a lot of potential in Eric Rowan that we haven't yet seen that we will with time and, and the right opportunity. Uh, but uh, I don't think that helped Eric much. That, that, that tarantula gimmick, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it was an advancement in the character's career, let's put it that way. My opinion, not being critical of other people's work, it's easy to criticize when you're not part of it. It's easy to criticize the storyline when you don't know where it's going or how it's going to end. Easy to be critical when you don't really know the variables and limitations and issues that are going on with individual talents or situations backstage. It's really easy to be critical it's 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 sure. the easiest job in the world to sound like you know what you're talking about at but and i try not to do that but just from an audience's point of view you know my perspective that 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 didn't really work guys working uh, the fans working each other at ringside looked like we had a little brawl going on there but everybody was smiling and laughing and having fun so kind of taking the energy and living vicariously through the characters in the ring and turning it into something at ringside.
0: Does it take you it's out of good the, when, the fi- when you see the, when you see the guys in the crowd, you know, having fun like that?
1: Um, uh, two things as a producer, what it tells me is they don't really care about what's going on in the ring. So that makes me a little nervous. Uh, as a viewer at home, looks like a party I want to go to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's another fine line too. You know, and it, it I've had different opinions about this throughout the years, but I I still believe that the audience that you see on television, you know, the live audience that people watch on television, if it looks like they're having a blast whether it's you know, with their goofy signs or becoming animated during the course of the match or standing and cheering or booing or throwing shit or whatever the case may be, if there's energy in the audience, what it tells to the viewer at home, in my opinion, my opinion only, is that when this shit comes to your town, you want to go to that party. You want to be a part of that. And if I look at this crowd during this match, you know, as we're watching along, it looks like they're – it looks like they're all sitting at a stop sign waiting for the light to turn green. You know, there's not a lot of energy right now. And that just tells me that this match has gone on way too long. There's no interest in it whatsoever, probably because there was no backstory or anything leading up to it. There's probably nothing at stake uh, in, in this match. I'm just assuming that. And you can see it on the faces of the audience. You've, if you're watching along right now, 50% of the audience isn't even looking at what's going on in the ring. That's That's not good.
0: Well and and I don't know that that, how much of that is Bret Hart's fault because certainly I mean, let's be clear, they're in the Northeast. Bret Hart's a star here. Van Hammer not so much, and it's not like anybody thinks Van Hammer's actually gonna win this match.
1: No, and this is just a match for the sake of a match. This is this is filler. And I I, and that's one of the reasons I feel bad, you know, as I sit here and watch this and I'm kind of, you know, thinking about this and, and experiencing it through Bret Hart's perspective at this point and uh, i'm sure it was frustrating for brett but again no backstory nothing at stake you've got a big star in here with a guy that means absolutely nothing um in van hammer don't mean to be critical of van hammer at this point but it just it is what it is he just wasn't a star there was no momentum 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 behind him he was a a glorified jobber at this point or enhancement talent a better way to say it uh so it's not Brett's fault, and it's not Hammer's fault. It just is what it was, or was what it was, not is what it was, was what it was.
0: Oh, speaking of is what it is and was what it was, we should mention that uh, we are uh, we are hitting the reset button on our Patreon. We've got a big announcement coming out at the end of the month, especially if you like not just this podcast, but my other four podcasts here on Westwood One. Stay tuned. Something big is coming your way on the 30th. That's Monday, March 30th. Uh, but if you have been a supporter for our 83 weeks, Patreon, uh, you probably just got a message that there's going to be, uh, quite the shindig, quite the get together with Eric Bischoff and man, I'm looking forward to, uh, getting to hang out and watch some wrestling and have some beers and hang out with our friends in a big way here coming up, uh, early summer.
1: I am too. No, I don't know the details. I'm going to be surprised as well as everybody else. But you and I talked about this, and you know, we want to uh, support and 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 respect the people who have supported us on Patreon. And I get to the get to come to the Conradison and hang out with you again, which is always fun for me. The first time I came to visit you when I first met you, it was it started out fun and it got a little intense. <laughs> and then as I left, I was going, "What the fuck? If I never see this son of a bitch again, it'll be five minutes too soon." And <laughs> Cause you grilled my ass. You set me up in the corner of your little Conradison man cave and, and you and your buddies, and mostly you, your buddies were fine. They were very respectful. You on the other hand ripped me to shreds. You were feeding me so many beers along the way. And it started out great. And by the time you got about fifteen beers in me, you were just grilling me. Grilling me. And I, I was like, what in the fuck? Why did I agree to do this? I feel like I'm on trial for, for murder or something, the way this guy is cross-examining me. It's brutal. But I got over it. And now look, look at us. And now, we're friends. Look, we look do at a podcast together. And Van Ham- we're watching Van Hammer almost beat Bret Hart. Man, the world is a funny place, Conrad. A look, funny place indeed. Look at us.
0: Looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. Uh, You you sent me your uh, schedule of what was available, or maybe you sent Silva what your schedule was. And we've released all those dates on Patreon. And if you used to support us on Patreon, but uh, maybe you tapped out, you're probably going to be getting an email with that information. We've got a bunch of cool swag here, and uh, we'll have uh, some nice old uh, ring-used memorabilia for us to uh, check out. And you get to uh, do what I do here on the show and poke the bear with Eric and hear some stories that we can't tell on the mic here and anytime you visit my house, Eric, I know where all the good eating spots are. We'll have some fun, uh, getting some folks, uh, fat and happy and drunk while they're here and talking a little wrestling.
1: And maybe we should cook. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to get a little green, egg, green egg thing going yes. on while we're there. Maybe we could, you know, film it, stream it, get it up on Patreon, whatever. Tease it a little bit on social media, but that'd be fun too. We could have a cook-off. Yeah, well, some we of could our- have the con- Conrad and Eric cook-off contest.
0: We got to do some of these uh, Duroc pork chops from Fairway Meat Market. I'm anxious to try them. There you go. That's awesome. That's smart. Castro GTX. What is it?
1: What, what, is, what is it? Let's go back to the pork chops. Let's talk about. No, we're not going to have any oil while we're there. Let's forget about GTX. They're not. They're not paying us to sponsor this show. I want to talk about Duroc pork chops. What exactly is a Duroc pork chop?
0: It's. A, you know? it's a different breed of uh, of pork. It's D U R O C, and. Uh, I've heard that they're reddish brown and golden yellow, and uh, I think they're a little more muscular, so I think it's just a a, a totally different sort of pork chop experience. When you, when you like, Google image a picture of this pig, it doesn't look like what you think it does, so it's a different breed, and I I don't know. I've never had it in Alabama, but all of my friends that I've mentioned it to, because it was on the... When we first talked to Fairway, it was one of the things they said was coming, and they were really excited to get it in our offer on the Heartland package. But and I was like, well, well, what is it? And so they were like, well, I'm just going to send you some. So he sent me some. hasn't arrived yet, but by the time next week airs, I'll have it, and I'm excited to tear into it because my friends who live there in like Iowa and in, in the Heartland, they're like, oh, dude, it's another level. You're going to love it.
1: I can't wait. I'm excited.
0: So coming up next, we've got our main event, but we've got some special commentators for that. That's right. That's Hollywood Hulk Hogan with the red and black. And of course he's got the uh, red spray paint on the big gold belt right after the finger poke of doom and the man he beat to become world champion. One of the bookers, Mr. Kevin Nash, they're cruising over to the nitro commentary desk right now. And I believe Tony Schiavone is going to stick around and everybody else takes a powder. We're going to get some special commentary here for, uh, for our main event. And there you go. Bobby Heenan. Nope. I had enough of this. I'm out of here. Mike to name more of the same. Hey, and that big nitro, uh, set piece right there with the WCW Monday nitro and TNT, Tony Schiavone got me one of those. So wh- when you come back to the Conradison, Eric, I've, uh, I got a cool little nitro artifact hung up in our studio here.
1: Well, I mean, I like some of that stuff. I never got any of this stuff. I never thought ahead and thought maybe I should grab this or never grabbed any of the props that we didn't use anymore. No I got no memorabilia, brother. I've got an I've got the original AWA blazer that I wore on ESPN back in the late eighties. I still have that. I think I have a WCW Nitro denim shirt or two and maybe even a jean jacket. And that's it. That's all I got. You should wear some
0: of that stuff when we do our Patreon get together. And even if it doesn't fit right, it would be the funniest photo op ever.
1: No, the funniest funniest photo op ever would be watching me trying to get into that AWA (laughs) jacket. It would look like a monkey trying to fuck a football. That's that's what that would look like. Uh, No, it wouldn't fit. That would be your Eric
0: Bischoff, Chris Farley. Fat guy
1: in a little coat. You know, oh you know. my God! It would look like a wrestling match. It would look like the it would look like the Ray Mysterio Scott Norton match that we just watched a little while ago.
0: That's tremendous.
1: Well, we but uh, I have it. Maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll auction it off or award it as a prize or surprise somebody with it. I gotta get rid. You know, it's just hanging in my closet. You know, I look at it about once every four years and go, wow, I remember when I wore that. But, you know, somebody else might enjoy it more than I do. So maybe we'll we'll do something with that jacket. I'll leave it up to you, Dave Silva, and the Brain Trust behind 83 Weeks and all the amazing podcasts each and every weekday that you can hear coming from the Conradison, myself, Tony Schiavone, Arn Anderson, Jim Ross, Bruce Pritchard. Who else? Do you have anybody else? No, you got them all working on anybody else we yeah. gonna have another one dude five I, I, I,
0: no it's a long do
1: no, I, I hope not no I hope not because you got to keep the team you have up on a pedestal we've got to we've got to remain the best in the industry and the Conrad Thompson podcast network if you will needs to remain one of the best in the industry the most entertaining the most successful financially financially the most sponsored that's what we need to do and you, you, you can't dilute yourself by bringing in you know lesser talent so there you go all i need is i'm glad you
0: is is, is quality over quantity you and four other co-hosts that's all i need and in fact you can switch to boost mobile today and you can get four lines for just 25 dollars per line per month with unlimited data you can also get four free samsung galaxy a20 phones perfect for the whole family and of course a super reliable super fast nationwide network to keep you connected and here's the deal man smartphones are expensive so don't force the family to wrestle over the phone, step up with boost mobile and get those four free Samsung galaxy, a 20 phones. When you switch, I mean, switching to boost mobile is a no brainer. I don't even know how they're really making money with this. If I'm honest with you, I mean, boost mobile gives you everything you can want in a wireless carrier. So you know exactly what you're getting and exactly what you're paying for. There's no annual service contract. They're all going to offer a wide range of unlimited data plans. They've got all the latest phones from all the top brands, all at affordable prices. All their service plans already include taxes and fees. Other guys tack that on top. They even get you the mobile hotspot, unlimited music streaming, and so much more. You've really got to do this. And, and at this offer of four lines for just $25 per line per month with unlimited data and for free Samsung galaxy, A 20 phones. I don't know how they're making money, but I know you need to hurry and make the switch because this deal can't last forever. Switch to Boost Mobile. It's uh, going to be a no brainer for you. We should mention this is a limited time offer while supplies last. New customers only. It requires port and activation from an eligible carrier. One free device per line. Users using more than 35 gigs of data during a billing cycle may be deprioritized during times of network congestion. Offers and coverage not available everywhere. See Boost Mobile or a retailer for full details. That's boostbubble.com. And now I think we're ready, man. Can you believe it? Here comes the, uh, incredible entrance from bill Goldberg. We recently saw, uh, his entrance at the, uh, Saudi show. Wasn't quite as impressive as what you guys did here on nitro, man. He came out like a bull standing in the pyro, breathing out the flames. And I've heard, if the rumor and in innu- in innuendo is true, that because he breathed all that pyro all those years, he is now immune to the coronavirus.
1: Good for him. Good. See, there you go. There's always a way to, uh, to stay healthy in the face of uh, what everybody perceives as a pandemic. Probably is, I guess, technically speaking, uh, in terms of the technical definition of a pandemic. But, you know, so is a cold. I'm healthy. I'm doing what I do. Not worrying about it too much. Just being smart. And Bill Goldberg, I wonder what he's thinking right now. He's in there with Ric Flair, who you know, Bill. Now, Bill's intense. Bill had a very strong opinion of himself and what he should do and what he should do. But he still knows he's in here with a guy that has forgotten more about performing in the ring than Bill Goldberg knows at this point. So you wonder, you know, what is he thinking? How much is he going to give up for Ric Flair? How much is he going to sell for Ric Flair? Because that's one of the things with Bill he had a real hard time with because he, he saw himself as this man-eating character and this vicious monster. And, you know, getting Bill to sell was one of the things that was a big challenge at this point. Not not tar- not hard to get him, you know, really excited about offense. But when it came to sell on that, was a little bit of a challenge. And let's be honest, you know, selling is a – the art of selling in the ring is an art – you know, unto itself. It's a little different. And doing it well or just doing it, there's a big difference. And I'm I'm sure some of the concern Bill may have had about selling is, you know, knowing when and how to do it effectively. Not as easy as it looks. But he's in it with Rick. You know, Rick can talk to him. Rick is the the consummate ring general and said it before a million times. He can make anybody look good. And then one of the reasons is because he knows how to call a match in the ring. And when.
0: pretty remarkable that this is the main event here uh rick flair of course a beloved figure in wcw and we're right back to that same spot man flair loved that spot and that's for a reason we see the big press slam down into the power slam high impact move and as soon as he pressed him man the shot from the hard cam everybody across from the hard cam stood up And, and, and Flair, you know, it's funny because he's been criticized a lot for having, Oh, he always had the same match. Oh, he was a routine man, whatever those criticisms were. And, and sting has even said, God, I got tired of doing the same match with Rick. I mean, he would call a press slam in every match, but Rick to his credit, when he was growing up as a, as a wrestling fan, he wanted to go see Ray Stevens and anytime Ray didn't do the upside down turnbuckle flip that, Most fans credit to Ric Flair. He stole it from Ray Stevens. If Ray didn't do it, he felt like he got gypped. He wanted to see that. That was the most entertaining part of the entire show to him, not just the match, but the reason he went was to see Ray Stevens do that spot. So when Rick knows that, Hey man, if they press slam me, it gets a big reaction and I don't mind taking the bump. He would call it pretty routinely and he would be criticized for that by some of the boys, but you saw right there. Holy shit. The crowd was into it.
1: Yeah, he got a lot of criticism. You know, and one of the the most vocal critics, you know, behind the scenes of Ric Flair's approach to a match was Ole Anderson. Ole just, just would gnaw nonstop on, you know, the, the similarities in Rick's matches. But here's, you know, and even in retrospect, you, know, you go back. You look at this, as you pointed out. Soon as Rick went up, you know, got up into that that press slam and and, and you know got dropped to the floor. The crowd was on their feet. And what's really ironic about this is, I'm watching this. Is Rick Flair was I don't care if he set puppies on fire and stomped them out on the way to the ring and made fun of old women or whatever he did to try to be a heel. He was still he was a babyface. The the audience loved him, but nonetheless, when Bill Goldberg got him up in that press slam, they just popped and that's my point is you know uh, i guess reiterating in a long-winded circacious way what you said is yeah it may have been the same thing we may it may have been repetitive but guess what so was the reaction to it the crowd loved it and you know hats off to rick flares same thing could be said about hulk hogan yeah the you know the 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 leg drop the big boot the leg drop the years all that stuff same old same old same old time after time after time but guess what Every time you did it, the crowd reacted to it. So if it works, don't fix it. Mucker
0: Oh, wow. That's a new curse word we learned.
1: No, it's not a curse word. It's no. mucker feather.
0: I understand. I'm just saying it's new. What else is new? not new in this era though? Nitro lost the ratings war. Nitro get a 4.4. we all got a 6.4. 4. 6. Think about what we're talking about there. And you and I have talked about this a lot. Um, that doesn't mean that a lot of those folks aren't getting counted twice, but still let's, let's pretend for a minute that, that, that these don't sort of, uh, swap lanes and switch back and forth a 10.8 between them. Woo. It's a lot of folks watching. and,
1: and, and what's even more interesting, you know, in retrospect is nitro loss with a 4.4. Now uh, Nielsen, (sighs) Excuse me. Television now re- report ratings differently than they did back in in the late 90s and early 2000s. You know, everything was you know ratings and shares. Well, they've converted now to just households. How many people were watching? How many eyes did you eyeballs did you deliver? So a 4.4 probably in whatever this is 1999. Probably not. You know, exactly sure in my math, but it was probably was about. 3 million, 3.5 million viewers, compare that to today. Monday Night Raw has a hard time breaking 2.7 million. They're probably they're averaging right now about 2.2, 2.3. SmackDown on Fox Network with a massive amount of network promotion, Un- uh, unheard of amount of network promotion, is probably ad- averaging around 2.4 million. Here, you're watching Nitro on the losing end of the Monday Night Wars with roughly, I would say accurately, just under 4 million viewers. WWE, you know, winning the night with probably 5 plus million viewers. Compare that to what we're talking about today. Yes, things have changed. I've been one of the most vocal, you know, um, people in the industry or formerly in the industry that talk about how television today is different than television, you know, back in the late '90s and early 2000s and streaming and all the different things that, you know, have affected it. But at the end of it all, at the end of all of that kind of justification, rationale, explanation, in which all of it, you know, may be true, some of it more than others. You're still looking at Nitro losing to the WWE with probably just under 4 million viewers. It's amazing. It's amazing what's, what's changed in the industry and, and what's not changed. But it, it really is fascinating when you kind of go back and just look at the math.
0: It's incredible. Here we see uh, Ric Flair sliding back in is where uh, the clock is ticking. We're only about two minutes left here.
1: Ric Flair with an elbow in the corner. A little bit of defense here, Masked his offense. Ric Flair making his way to the top turn. I just got to call this one, Conrad. I'm sorry. Bill Goldberg moves in. Big slam. Picks Rick up off the top rope before Rick could launch. Goldberg now cocked, loaded, ready to go. Pulls the trigger. Ric Flair dodges it. And Bill Goldberg. Runs himself smack dab into the middle turnbuckle. Nobody home as Ric Flair took advantage of his cat-like reflexes and master timing. Timing like a Rolex watch. Experience all of the above. Bill Goldberg now trying to uh, regain his composure after tanking himself in the corner with what was supposed to be a spear, but didn't work out so well. Now Ric Flair in the ring, vertical suplex on the big man down goes. Bill Goldberg and the crowd now starting to react for Ric Flair as he gets into the Ric Flair strut boom spear as he turns around Bill Goldberg goes to the well with he with what he knows is going to work and Disco Inferno what the fuck Disco Inferno what is oh NWO Horace Hogan Stevie Ray all of the above making their way to the ring and Disco gets used like a wet log and tossed out of the ring. Big boot by Bill Goldberg to Vince. And Stevie Ray comes up from behind. Double axe handle, couple knees to the back. Irish whip off the ropes. Reversed by Goldberg. Boom, shoulder tackle, down goes Stevie Ray Is Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash make their way to the ring and literally Bagwell joins in, putting the boots, if you will. Scott Steiner, all of the above. This is a, this, oh my God, this is horrible for Bill Goldberg. He feels like Custer, the NWO, or the Indians, and this is a bloodbath. I love this shit. Dude, we should do more matches. We should just pick batches to have fun doing, doing. And you should be the color guy. I should give you some room. I should breathe a little. Give you some room. You should be the color guy. I'll be the play-by-play. We'd have a blast.
0: Uh, people want to hear you, man. They don't want to hear me.
1: No, no, no. I no. You're you're underselling yourself. Nice move on your part, but uh, you're baby facing it. But uh, no, I'm I'm sure they would love to hear you and I do color and play-by-play together.
0: So that's it. The show's going to go off the air there. Uh, it's a classic Nitro formula. It's pandemonium at the end with the nwo running rough shots so it feels like two years prior uh, but the nwo here is vincent and stevie ray and disco inferno and horace hogan it's been diluted quite a bit but of course eventually hulk hogan and kevin nash will come join them but uh it it felt like the tale of two nitros man it was an interesting to say the least set up you know where we had um uh as you called it sort of the pre-game show and then we got, you know, a, a much different show once those guys got at it. And and I really enjoyed
1: it. I did too. And, it, you know, it was, again, as we talked about early on, interesting experience, the best way or experiment, I should say, best way to, uh, to try to maximize that three hour window. Do you give them, you know, three hours of, did you give them an hour's worth of action? It doesn't matter before you get into the good stuff. <coughs> excuse me, or do you use that first hour as a pregame show to set up the two hours? Experiment, you know, debatable how effective it was, but uh, nonetheless, it was our best effort at the time.
0: we got fun stuff coming your way here on 83 Weeks, but before we do that, we need to remind you that we've got a great sponsor who's got something fun for you the next time you're taking a shit. If you like ah, retro God. video games, movies, or wrestling from the 80s and 90s, you've got to go subscribe to the Dirty Game Room on YouTube. Every week, there's a new episode up covering what we grew up with the golden age of the WWF, WCW, and ECW. And the Dirty Game Room not only covers wrestling, but classic games like Nintendo and Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, even Nintendo 64. The good stuff like Contra and Donkey Kong and WWF WrestleFest, even No Mercy, Sonic the Hedgehog, and more. But they also go over the terrible games too, like Friday the 13th and the Karate Kid, all for a good laugh. So if you're looking for something to watch the next time you're holding your phone and taking a massive shit, you might as well do yourself a favor and, uh, go favorite and go find, uh, the dirty game room on YouTube. Uh, you'll find all kinds of movies being reviewed there too. Like Terminator two, the crow nightmare on Elm street, hook, other classics from that era, all in the same channel. And right now they're even giving away a custom Cobra Kai Nintendo to one lucky subscriber. So stop what you're doing, pull out your phone, and go find the Dirty Game Room on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, and when you do, you're automatically registered to win that Nintendo. The Dirty Game Room, it's all retro all the time. Think about it. The next time you take a shit, the Dirty Game Room on YouTube. And Eric, speaking of taking a shit... Now, we're going to be taking a shit on Uncensored 95, Uncensored 2000, Sting's 1997, The Nitro Restart from April 10th of 2000, The TNA's Lockdown pay per view from 2010, Spring Stampede 2000, and we'll round out April with Ask Eric Anything. This should be a good time.
1: Jim, I don't know how to react to that last read. I mean, you take shit. Goddamn, pal, that was so crass.
0: I mean, crass. You take shits, don't you, Eric?
1: You know, this this falls into the spitting on your way to the ring category. And we, look, we all engage in daily bodily functions, but it's not necessarily something you need to talk about. I mean, I only, look, I'm open-minded. I'll talk about almost anything, but God damn, pal, that's crass.
0: Hang on, hang on. We're, you're on here talking about your dick here all the time
1: now now we got. that's a a little different you know it's a little different i mean don't ask me how to justify the lines of which i draw it's just to me it's wow it's just you you took me by surprise you set me back in my seat
0: if you think that's going to take you by surprise I, i may call an audible next week and i may call another surprise with a different topic are you are you game for me to do that to switch gears on you
1: You know, I am Conrad. I trust you. I don't mind living on the edge. I'm not, I can't promise you how I'm going to react, but Hey, that's what makes this kind of shit so much fun.
0: look, you're talking about shit again. I don't see what the big deal is. Okay. 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 (laughs) Listen, we appreciate you joining us to watch this random nitro from, uh, the go home episode as we set up uncensored 1999. Uh, I enjoy doing the watch longs with Eric. And this one was a fun one because it felt like a really good show. Once they got going. But man, that first hour, talk about trying something new. Just one video package after another. I don't think it's ever been done in wrestling before or after. Not that way.
1: <laughs> it's probably a good reason for it. We probably looked at the research and went, oh my God, we lost a lot of people.
0: Well, we tried something new and uh, we hope that you guys will try something new. Hit that subscribe button. Tell a friend if you think we've earned it. Leave us a five-star review and don't forget to check us out on our relaunch of patreon something special coming your way we'll start giving you the details in the coming weeks but it's going to start on monday march 30th and uh, if you're a fan of our shows here i think you're going to really dig what we've got coming your way and if you've already supported us uh be checking your email uh, or or check your patreon for our current 83 weeks because we've got a, a special announcement of how you can hang out and spend the weekend with eric bischoff and See some old cool wrestling stuff and, uh, have a few beers and talk wrestling with the guy who created the NWO and Monday Nitro and convinced Hulk Hogan to be a bad guy. He don't need no stinking hall of fame. He just needs, uh, us and some beers here in Huntsville. So stay tuned. <laughs> Come on. I'm trying yes. to sell it and make you happy here. Follow us on Twitter. If you've got a question for next week's show or any show at 83 weeks and be sure to give D- Dave Silva shit about not only wrecking my car, but over the weekend, somebody ran into the power pole at my business and I haven't confirmed that it was Dave Silva, but, uh, things are not looking good for him and his, his driving hopes here in Alabama, Eric.
1: I feel bad for Dave. I'm looking at the kind of heat that he's getting on in social media online. And you, you've turned him into the scapegoat of all scapegoats. Every time somebody sees a bad car wreck there, you know, I see something posted on social media that asks the question is, was Dave Silva driving this car? I'm sure it's wearing on. Dave Silva is one of the nicest guys in the world, and people on social media are just beating the dog shit out of him. Wait a minute! And I think that you're 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 the reason for it. You keep burying him for one minor accident. For God's sake, he was turning into a Chick Fil A. If there's not a reason to forgive a guy for making a mistake, as he was trying to hang a hard right to get into that Chick Fil A, you know, before the lines got too long, then there's no compassion. Forgive him, move on. Don't keep beating him to death, dog.
0: Are you suggesting perhaps that I've made Dave Silva, or maybe Dave Silva has become the most infamous driver in wrestling?
1: At least the most infamous infamous driver in Huntsville, Alabama. It makes me wonder. For God's sake.
0: Did, did 20 years later, we just accidentally figure out who was driving the white Hummer.
1: How old was Dave 20 years ago? 40. He was old enough to, Oh, get the fuck out of here. He's not 60.
0: No, I don't know what black don't crack is for brown people, but he's that Dave Silva's deceptively <laughs> old. He's like 53. So yeah, he could have done it.
1: Dave Silva's 53.
0: Yeah. A minimum. He, he could be 56 for all I know, but I mean, he like gets to park up front. I mean, he's old.
1: Dude, the, uh, 53 is not old. Oh, I they, have shoes older than 53. No, you don't. I'm 65. Fucking if you hoppers. Think, no, you don't. Shoes. I do. I have a pair of cowboy boots that are over 50 years old.
0: I got to see a picture of that on social media.
1: I don't believe you. I'll send them. I do. They're they're, they're kind of on the, I collect old cowboy boots. I have all my kids' cowboy boots from when they were old enough to wear a pair of boots. And I have a couple pairs of mine that I've had almost all my life. And they're in our living room, right under the the lamp in the corner. Yeah, they're on display. I shit you not. Wow. There's, but there's no way. This doesn't matter. There's no way Dave is that old. I have to see his driver's license. I'm not going to believe it.
0: Well, that's the th- that's the trouble. I don't know that he's here documented legally, so I don't know that he's got any
1: papers. Oh! Oh! Conrad, that's a horrible thing to say. Well, he didn't fill out like any paperwork. It. What do you think? Right so he ruined a wheel on your BMW. Wah, fucking wah. You can afford, you got a Rolls Royce in your fucking <laughs> garage. You drive around in a goddamn Mercedes Maybach and you're pissing and whining and burying a young man. Yes, young man, even if he is 53, just because he scratched up your ribs god damn conrad find a heart you cold-blooded bastard and leave him alone let's see if
0: i get one by next week right here on 83 weeks with eric bischoff
2: and no i think he's undocumented i don't know john brings his skewed sense of humor jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together